Getting set here on a Tuesday. Kevin Bowen out, of course, on paternity leave. Jake Query, Mark Dykton here as well. Sam Fritz running the big board for us. On, I, I guess, a return to summer. I Yesterday, it was like cool, and then last night it was really nice. And then I guess later today, or is it tomorrow, back in the mid-80s. I think we're getting back in the 80s later. But yeah, this morning was still a bit nippy. So throw But on it's a like 900 degrees in here this morning. Is it the lights? Probably. Again, your star shines so bright that it warms the studio. <laughs> We'd like to think that, right? Hey, good morning to you. Um, this is Kevin Aquari. Last night, Monday Night Football, I would like to know, Mark Dykton, which you watched. Was it the Manning cast or was it the primary cast? So I mostly stuck with the Buck Aikman main broadcast, but I did switch over to the Manning cast a little bit uh, at halftime. Uh, apparently didn't miss much because I heard the Manning cast was a little... They're in preseason form, apparently. I heard the, the guests were not the best, and a lot of people were like, can we just have a Manning cast without guests? Yeah, I um, I kind of thought the same. A couple of things that came into play for me on the Manning cast that I'm curious about. Number one, will people be less likely to watch now that you have Buck and Aikman doing the game? Yeah, I was going to say the, the Monday Night Crew the last few years made it very easy to make the choice of Peyton right. and Eli. And now with Buck and Aikman, you're like, it's like it feels a lot more special now. Correct. I would agree the with a, that. It's the A-team. So um, I checked in for it a little bit. Didn't stick around too much, but I heard I, I saw stuff obviously on Twitter from uh, Eli correcting Shannon Sharp, asking if uh, Peyton got booed when he came back to Indy, and Eli chimed in, well, he got cut by the Colts. And Eli's... Peyton's like, oh, thanks, Eli. Thanks for bringing that up again. Uh, you know, it was very obvious that Peyton Manning was rooting for Denver. I mean, rooting is probably the wrong word, but you could tell, like, he was invested in Denver. Invested is a better way of saying it. I love the city of Seattle, man. I loved, um, you know, especially when the weather there is still good, which it was, and the crowd was into it. Then you forget about the fact I'm watching it, Mark, and I'm like, wait a minute. Like, it's 5 o'clock out there. Yeah. I mean – the West Coast is so interesting to me, having just been on the West Coast, it's just so easy to forget about stuff that's going on in the rest of the country because of the time difference, and it has, and, and there's so much to do. But I think that we think that people on the West Coast have this like high flute and cocky attitude about them, and I don't think it's that. It's just that when you're out there, you are so detached, and... You know, like this weekend, I mean, I, you know, I'm out there doing the IndyCar race and you get up to go out about your day and you, you drive to the racetrack at 10 in the morning and it's all the, the noon games or the, the, you know, in college football are already underway and your yeah. day's getting going and you're like, well, wait a minute, what? You know, it just totally different. But it was like um, being out in Oregon, tell my parents and my dad and I would go get dinner at like eight o'clock and I'm like, it's like 11 at home. Correct. Through, it, it's crazy, right? Completely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but nonetheless, pretty cool game last night. I, in the Manning cast, when I flipped over, it was just Peyton and Eli. I probably watched 10 or 15 minutes of it. Um, and it was okay. I mean, it was entertaining. It's obviously informative. But there are kind of – now that, like, the – wow, these guys, you know, they're so knowledgeable. And, and, you know, it is fun, the dynamic between them. And this is crazy to say when talking about Peyton and Eli Manning. And maybe this happens even on this radio show. I get it. So it's not anybody's fault. But there are pregnant pauses where, like, is they're waiting for the play to happen. 
where they're both just kind of sitting there and you're watching the huddle and, and neither one of them is saying anything and you're just kind of, it's kind of awkward. Or there'll be times when Peyton's talking and Eli tries to chime in and then there's that overlap because there's a bit of a delay right. in their broadcast. So it's one of those things where it's like, I wish they could just be in the same room. You would well, think that would be something they could do, but apparently not. And Eli makes it, I think, as, as great as Peyton Manning is. And Manning is clearly the lead on it. But Eli kind of makes it because he's the one guy that can just throw whatever he wants at Peyton Manning. And nobody and, and Manning's not going to say anything, right? Right. Uh, there's a lot to talk about in terms of the Colts, which we'll get to coming up after the check down, including Frank Wright talking about is there one position where they're starting to have buyer regret? Also, kind of an update on where things stand with Shaquille Leonard. I was a little surprised. I guess we didn't get into this much yesterday, Mark. I was a little bit surprised that that he was ruled out as early as he was because all signs started to indicate towards maybe the fact he was going to be able to play um, down in Houston. But, you know, they made that pretty clear well ahead of time. Well, we kept hearing, you know, he went from a full participant to limited, and then there was – talk all week about being out of pitch count and how open was he to that how open was the coaching staff and it seemed like that was very much a conversation in the building and then yeah come game time I mean he was ruled out pretty early on and like well maybe he wasn't you know maybe the detractor going from full to limited they kind of were like you know let's just play close to the vest let's let's keep him out of this one I don't know how much of a difference he would have made in that game uh, on Sunday but hey fight for another day i guess so we'll see we'll see what his status is going forward i don't i don't know if we we should even entertain the idea of him suiting up in jacksonville this week but uh we'll have to see what they they do going forward by the way and i can't recall so i want you mark dykton to to like fill me in on this kevin would know this so no pressure did russell wilson demand a trade out of seattle or did they just kind of figure out that it was time to to kind of rebuild and restart over, and it was an understand and amicable divorce. I did find his reaction quite interesting that he was getting booed as heavily as right. he was. But I mean, I know that there this has been a couple of years going where he, you know, it wasn't that he was saying that he wanted that. It was his agent, like, well, if you do trade Russell Wilson, here are five teams we would consider or whatever. So there's always that floated out there. So maybe fans just got kind of sick of it. I'd also heard that maybe Russell Wilson got too big for his britches in Seattle. Um, so maybe there's just some animosity building up, but at the time he's your quarterback, so you're rooting for him. But once he's in a different uniform, you're like, hey, now I can actually tear well, the mandate off. Well, you always and... root for laundry, right? Right, exactly. I mean, that's the bottom line is you're rooting for the jersey. Yeah, so I think maybe they, maybe he got a little tired there. I don't know, but it was a pretty interesting. I, I tweeted out, I said, did he kill the firstborn of everyone in Seattle? Right. Because he was getting a... I mean, that that crowd in general, if you've ever been to a Seahawks game, and it's interesting because the the stadium in Seattle is built to trap in sound. I mean, literally it is the way that it's built there. So it's always going to be like – and they were super proud of that in the kingdom too, the the crowd of their 12th man, the sound of their 12th man. It's a huge deal there. Um, And that's kind of what they, they feed off of. But I did. I was like, whoa, I didn't realize there was like that bad of blood. Part of it, too, is just like a good nature, I guess. Like, I mean, maybe that wasn't good nature. Maybe some of that was was angst-ridden. But I did not recall, although, you know, I don't live in Seattle, right? I didn't recall the, that hostility. Somebody asked here, Jake, do you find it funny that the Manning cast didn't do the Colts game last year and they aren't doing the last two Colts games or doing the two Colts games this year? 
No, I think that's by design. I think Peyton Manning, listen, Manning is Peyton Manning. Every asset of Peyton Manning's life, he's in control of. I say all of this is not a negative at all. He's in control of every aspect of his life. When he came here and was the quarterback of the Colts, he had a notebook put together by the Colts PR staff that had the name and my understanding is the photo, I don't know about that, but of every local media person. He knew who they were, who they worked for. I've always told the story, and I'll retell it because I think it's applicable here. Um, One of the years Manning was named MVP, I don't recall which, but I was working at Channel 6, and, you know, Manning would talk every Wednesday. Every Wednesday, he'd stand at his locker, you know, at 10.30 or whatever time it was we went out there, and do his weekly press conference at his locker. And then my days off, I think we're like Tuesday, Thursday. I can't recall, but maybe it was Thursdays. I was off Tuesdays, Thursdays. But one of the years that he was named MVP, there was, you know, discussion or rumor or whatever that like, hey, this is going to come out on such and such day. It's going to be announced. And it was my day off. And I went to... Uh, like a late breakfast here in town by myself on the north side, and it was a place that he would frequent, and in walks Manning, and he was with his wife and his parents. And literally, we were the only five people in the place. And so I see him, and I go, oh, hey, what's up? And he's like, hey, 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 Jake. And I said, hey, um, I, I, I'm sorry, I just woke up, and I'm off today. I did did you did they do the MVP thing yet? And he goes, Yeah, yeah I, I just came from it. We just had like a little press deal there. And I said, Oh, okay. And I said, Well, I, I was off today, so I didn't even. I, I certainly hope that we were there, meaning Channel Six, where I was working. And he said, Yeah, uh, Will was there with Otis, the photographer. So he knew not only who my coworker was, but who the photographer was that was linked with that that particular reporter. He was that on top of it. So my point being. Manning was in control of everything. And each step of his life, the Manning cast is Omaha Productions. The, you know, everybody's asking, like, is Peyton Manning, what team is he going to own? What's he going to do next? Everything that he has done each step of his post-playing career here has been on the terms of Peyton Manning, dictated by Peyton Manning, controlled by Peyton Manning. Totally his right, and and absolutely the guy has the the power and the intellect to do all those things. The only thing in his career he did not control was what happened to him at the end of his tenure as an Indianapolis Colt. And do I think that he harbors ill will over that? I don't know about that because he's come back for his jersey retirement and the ring of honor, that kind of thing, the statue. But he has come back when it has been obligatory or when it has been to honor him and his teammates. I mean, admittedly, he was there, I think, when Dungey got elected. I don't think he's a selfish guy. I'm just saying, I think it really hurts. I think it really hurts him. And I think that the Colts and that fracture of relationship at the end is an area that Peyton Manning just assumed not necessarily walk back into unless he absolutely has to because there is something taking place Notably, something taking place that centers around Manning or his teammates. I, you know, he does care about his teammates. Yeah, and week one, I mean, doing a Broncos game right out of the gate, 
Eli doing a Giants game in week three. The Colts for the second year in a row not featured on the Manning cast. The only chance that that could even be possible is uh, the wild card weekend because they're going to do a Manning cast for the wild card weekend, uh, the Monday night game for the first time this year. So the only chance the Colts could slip in is if somehow they make the wild card game and they end up on the ESPN Monday night broadcast. So there is a chance, but not a very good. I, don't I mean, know if it's it would AFC, be NFC. I don't know how they're working that out. But you know, I was fascinated last year by the ratings of the Manning cast because they weren't as high as like I remember. You know, in watching it, it was like, oh my gosh, everyone's watching this, and it 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 did okay. Yeah, that's but, when you realize how you know isolating social media can be sometimes, where it's like correct. you're focused in on something. You think everybody's watching? Oh, this would be twelve million people watching this. It's like, is it nine hundred degrees two. in here? Did I ask? Well, you that got already? a giant pullover on too. That might be doing you no favors. Well, I'm about to take it off, but it was chilly outside this morning, right? It was chilly. I brought a jacket too. Yeah, it was like under sixty. So, uh, I have a question for you, Mark. How often do you Facetime? Um, maybe once or twice a week. Like not I, very often. I'm fascinated by the fact. I remember when I was a kid. Palmer Eicher lived next door, and his dad had just bought a VCR. And I said, well, what is a VCR? And he said, it's video recording. And we thought that meant that on telephone you could video record people, which was like Jetsons-level stuff in 1983, right? Mm-hmm. It blows me away that you can have a face-to-face conversation with people on the phone for any call that you make, basically, and yet... I mean, you see people usually annoyingly, like at an airport or in a restaurant, you see people doing it. But like you would think, why why do we just continue to do normal phone calls when you could always do a FaceTime? But but very rarely do I ever do it. Rarely, which yeah, is kind of weird because, I mean, it's amazing to me, my Australian buddies. And by the way, they're coming here two weeks from today. They're bringing in Vegemite. Oh, boy. Line it up. Let's so do that again. My buddy, Michael. And his son, Marcus, and Daniela, I met them in a Pacer game just before COVID when Michael, who is a diehard, he and his son, Marcus, live in Melbourne, Australia, born and raised in Australia. They are diehard Pacer fans. He was sitting behind me at a Pacer game. They flew all the way from Melbourne to come to three Pacer home games in one week. So they come to Indianapolis, Indiana from Melbourne, Australia. I became, I I said, listen, I got to take you around. So I became their tour guide for the day, took them to the Speedway, actually for the week. I became like Judge Reinhold in Seinfeld. And Michael and I have maintained a That's friendship. That's a solid reference by you. Thank you. Um, we have become friends, very, very, very good friends. I mean, daily conversation, text messages, etc. Every year on Christmas Eve, for example, I FaceTime Daniela and Michael to wish them a Merry Christmas. And it's fascinating. I mean, I'm like, they're in Melbourne, Australia, and I'm instantly live looking at them on the telephone. It's crazy. But then I was thinking about it. I'm like, I never use it. But we were for the IndyCar race, Michael Young, Ryan Marine, and I, on the way back to San Francisco to the airport, stopped at an outlet mall to buy a pair because I love Echo shoes, and you can't find them hardly anywhere. And they have an Echo store in Gilroy, California. So we were in the Echo store. Well, I wear like an insert in my shoes for my plantar fasciitis from the Goodfeet store, Mm -hmm. which are... I can immediately tell when I don't have them in, right? Because they are a lifesaver. So when I was trying on shoes, I had taken the insert out to put them in just to make, you know, to make sure they fit with the shoe that I was trying on. I ended up buying a pair of shoes, got to the airport and realized I left one of my inserts inside the shoes I was trying on. Oh, geez. (laughs) 
yeah, not only bad for me, but bad for whoever would buy that pair of shoes because they're going to be like, something is, because I put them underneath the... the Something's you know, weird in here. That's right. So I called the Echo Store yesterday to say, and by the way, it, it was weird too when I was talking to them because everything they said I heard twice. Um, but I called them oh boy. to ask, hey, I was trying on shoes and I left my right foot insert in one of the shoes that's back on the box on the shelf and I tried on like nine pair of shoes. But if I tell you exactly what, like it's the, the, the size 46 on the right or 47 European sizes. So as I'm talking to the girl, she says, well, why don't you FaceTime me and we'll walk through the store together? I go, I never thought of that. So I look down and and she's FaceTime and I'm calling the store. So the store must use an Apple phone. I'm getting a FaceTime request on the other line. I click it and there's this manager and she's walking and I'm like, right there, stop to the right, second that second box up. On the, on the it was a clearance rack right there, boom there it was. I'm sure that part time high school student was thrilled. No, to this be doing was the that. manager. Oh, okay, well that's, I, that doesn't mean they can't. I be did a say like 15 times, like no, no, no. I apologize that I'm making you search for my soul. Is what she was doing. Yeah. And so is she shipping in your soul she, this way? She found my soul and is sending it back. Well, that's a beautiful story. What a nice, what a nice but isn't ending. This, but there's good use of FaceTime. But I got to wondering about it, and I'm like, how, like you have kids. Yeah. If you're if you're gone, I don't know where, where it would be or when. But if you were like when you were in Oregon mm-hmm. to go help your parents, did you FaceTime back home to your wife to see your kids? Yes. Yeah. And usually the only times I do FaceTime is for like probably that right. If if my Kids want to see my parents. Like, they want to FaceTime grandma and grandpa. That, or is it ever like, prove where you are? No, I've never had to prove where I am. My wife usually can watch YouTube and realize I'm at work or something. So, no, that's true. No, my my, I will probably be using it uh, next you- month because we are we're planning a trip to Florida, and uh, my daughter's got two weeks off. So my wife and three daughters are going to go down to Florida. We're gonna drive. Then I'm going to fly back and do the show and then fly back down for like three or four days. So they get like well, two weeks you. of vacation. Aren't you high fluting? I so know. You're, you're, you're like just flying back for a couple of days to do the show and then flying back down. <laughs> so again? I will be I will be flying solo. It'll be the, like the first time I'm like without kids, without wife. Well, it's okay. Do we need to college. put a name tag on you or something? Maybe. I won't know what to do what with myself. What are you, I'll, I'll, Bear? I'll, I'll be home by myself for like 10 straight so days. this is when? This is... uh. Middle of October. Okay. Whenever so, my daughter's spring break is, or fall break so is. So you are flying, you're driving the family gonna, to Florida. We're going to drive to Florida. On the weekend? I'll, I'll stay down for like a day or two, then fly back here. Okay. Not use any vacation time, just produce the show, or where, what, unless Kevin's having another kid we don't know about and he's right. got to be out. And then once that happens, I will fly back down for a few days and we'll, we're going to do Disney World and all that stuff. So. Now, how much paternity leave from a, for any company... <clears throat> If you are getting paternity leave, not maternity, but paternity uh-huh. leave, can you get paternity leave and no, I'm not asking for me. If you're a single guy and you're 30 years old, but you have multiple children with multiple women that all happen within like a two-year period, is there a cap on number of different relationships you can use are your you, paternity leave for? Are you for? asking if Nick Cannon worked here, how would he work out his paternity leave? You know what I mean? Yeah, I don't know how that works. I mean, they might be like, "Hey, you got three months off. What's going on? I got five <laughs> different I mean, kids." Like, like, if you're allowed two, two or three weeks, can you be like, "Well, yeah, but that was my my ex," and actually, this very the shortly thereafter, this wasn't the regular. Correct. Yeah. Correct. 
How does that work? Like like a Maury Povich type situation of, yes, I realize that woman A gave birth, but I also fathered a, a child that was born six weeks after that one. Boy, that's an HR question I'm sure they'd love to hear. Or can you take paternity leave if you're under different residence than where the child is living? Well, I would hope you wouldn't have to block out. Like, you get a week regardless. All right, three days here, three days there. This is a great question, is it not? I th- I, I, I think about like, I was thinking about it, and I'm like, well, wait a minute. This would be, are you like George Costanza, second Seinfeld reference? You've got to, like, produce a birth certificate? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Does Nick Cannon have uh, multiple Sam kids? Sam According Bino? to a quick Google search, it's 12 weeks unpaid, 8 weeks paid per child. Uh, understood. Right. But that well, that's got to be that's, that's that's maternity I'm, leave, though, isn't it? No, uh, I'm seeing right now this says paternal leave. But what, But that's not. that didn't answer the question, Sam. What I'm saying is, what if you have... Mm. So you are a single 32-year-old guy who works as an architect in Sacramento. We're using totally fictional stuff here as to, you know, not as... So, and your name is uh, Bill, okay? But Bill is a good-looking guy. He makes good architecture money. He's a man around town in Sacramento. Bill has a relationship, a girlfriend named Amy. Amy has a baby on April 1st. What Amy doesn't know is that Bill also had... Uh, a relationship with Susie. Susie has a baby on May 15th. Both of them are Bill's children. Is he allowed to take back-to-back paternity for two different relationships? Yes. Neither of which he's the father? Uh, according to what Google is telling me right now, if you are the biological father... Oh, wait, if he's not the father of them? No, he's the father, yeah, but... If you're the biological father But he's not child, in a relationship with either. You're still allowed paternity leave if you are the biological father. That's that's according to... Is that Google's rules? Well, yes, but I, it's, I'm reading this off of a .gov website. Like, what's, I Googled it, but then I clicked on a .gov website. What's .gov? Does that mean like it's- a it's, government website. I believe this one's- Because I don't think that that's- That says how long? This is departmentoflabor.gov. So well, I would, Labor I would meaning work or a, labor meaning the what the woman's doing? Work, but that would be the- Okay, so labor of labor. But what I'm saying is I think that's different from company to company. Yeah, well, because we don't have federal paternity leave, so we're only talking right. about states that would even have it in the first place. So I'm saying within a company, like- is it different? Are there companies that are like, you know what? Have at. Probably. I would imagine so. I'm not sure. Uh, mercifully, the morning check down is next. And then coming up, we're going to talk about a position within the Colts where is there buyer's remorse? It's all upcoming. Joel Erickson joins us on the program in just over an hour. It's Kevin and Query on a Tuesday, 93.5, 107.5, The Fan. Major League Baseball yesterday. Not a huge slate of games, thus can easily tell you all the scores. It was the Pirates over the Reds 6-3, Cubs over the New York Mets 5-2, Dodgers blank the Diamondbacks 6-love, Giants over the Braves 3-2, American League Cleveland over the Angels 5-4, it was the Astros blanking Detroit 7-0, and the Toronto Blue Jays 3-2 over the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, Jays and Rays, that rhymes, by the way. Uh, NFL. Yesterday, Frank Reich discussing Shaquille Leonard missed game one against the Houston Texans, but now the Jacksonville Jaguars on the slate down in Jacksonville. Where do things stand, Coach Reich, in terms of the return of your star linebacker? You know, we hope he continues to make progress. Uh, You know, as I sit here right now, I'd like to say, hey, maybe he's got a chance for this week. I I don't want to underestimate him, but we're going to have to make progress from where we were last week in order to make that step. 
So that was Frank Reich on Shaq Leonard. We'll have more from Frank Reich coming up shortly. So we'll see the status of Shaq Leonard. I wouldn't be overly optimistic of him heading into the game against the Jaguars. Week one, got a bow put on it last night as uh, Seattle spoiled Russell Wilson's return as he lost to the the Broncos couldn't do anything in the red zone. I don't know if you, how much you watched that game. The Broncos shot themselves in the foot like a dozen times in the red zone. It was absolutely insane. Seahawks get the 17-16 to 16 victory, victory over the Broncos. Nathaniel Hackett, head coach of the Broncos, made a very curious decision of having a fourth and five and letting 30 seconds run off the clock. And instead of going with Russell Wilson, go for a 64-yard field goal. Uh, I was scratching my head on that one. I think a lot of people were. A lot of people one. were, yes. I don't know what you were doing with that time management. I can't imagine what John Elway was thinking watching him manage that clock in the last two minutes. But curious decision. Seahawks pulled the upset 17-16. Geno Smith, by the way, was 23-28 for 195 yards, two touches. Did not look terrible for Seattle. Two things I thought about last night, Mark. Number one, didn't we used to do, maybe I'm going with like five years ago and I've just slept for a year and didn't realize it. Uh, Didn't they used to do on opening night two Monday night games? Yes, so that was another curious thing is that they're moving it to next week. So next Monday is a doubleheader. So we've got the uh, it's the Titans and the Bills, I believe, is the opener. And then there's a game on um, ABC. Usually the Chargers or the Raiders are in that second game, right? Yeah, so week two has the double dip of the Monday night game. So it's Titans-Bills on ESPN. And then on ABC is Vikings-Eagles. So Titans Bills will kick off at 7:15, and then Vikings Eagles will kick off on ABC at 8:30. So we get the double dip there. So I'm not sure why they opted for a week two double dip, but that's the way it goes. Secondly, hot take here, old guy. Ready? You don't I can like say the double dip. I don't mind that. Um, I love, 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 love. Capital L all the way across the board. I have always loved. I've talked about it before. The Seahawk uniforms, love them, except for last night's the electric green. I mean, look, the Seahawks by nature are blue, silver with a little bit of green accentuation. The the If you want to go cool, whatever else, go with the original silver Seahawk helmets. That lime green is the highlighter green. The first year they came out with it, yeah, sure, great, whatever. After that, no. Boy, I wish they could flex one of those games on Monday night in week two to week three because week three is Monday night game. Cowboys at Giants. Ugh. That stinks. Anytime it's the NFC East, it reminds me of a late night, rainy night while my mom's like getting things set for the next day. And I know that it means school starting in yeah. 60 minutes is on. Well, no Dak Prescott either. Ugh. So that's that's a that's a yeah. that's a turd of a Monday night game. Uh, when we come back, is there a position for the Colts that already is in question? And they have buyer's remorse. We'll hear from Frank Reich on exactly that and tell you who we're talking about. We come back to Kevin and Query here. 93.5-1075 The Fan. It is kind of a chilly overcast start to a Tuesday if you're just leaving the house. Upper 50s outside, worry not. It is going to warm up over the course of the day in the mid-70s, going to be in the 80s rest of the week. When it comes to warming up, Mark Dykton, reality is this. The Colts have a guy on the roster that seemingly has yet to totally do that despite his nickname, and I'm talking about Hot Rod. Rodrigo Blankenship, who... When the game was on the line, and what did we say? Listen, I know that Chris Ballard's smarter than all of us, but what has everyone, what have we discussed when we weren't talking wideouts? What have we discussed a thousand times? And that is 
Do you want a kicker that is reliable on extra points and field goals, let's say, from 40 in? Or do you want a guy that gives you the best shot? Now, what did we see last night? You know, in the case of Denver, sometimes you get a guy with a strong leg, you rely on it too much. There's a balance there. But when it comes down to it, wouldn't you rather have the guy that you know, A, gives you a shot from 45 out, and B, when the – star and the spotlight is the brightest is cool under pressure yes i mean i i, I was watching last night and i saw him trot him out for a 64 yarder i'm like i can't even imagine frank Reck would trot rodrigo out for a, a uh, 54 yarder. A, yeah a 50 yarder even seems, right. seems like a stretch he would have he would have stuck with uh matt ryan under center on a fourth and five which is not the worst decision i don't i don't agree with what the broncos ended up doing but even in my wildest dreams i can't imagine there's a scenario where uh Rodrigo Blankenship is is lining up for a 64-yard field goal in any capacity. So when it comes to evaluating the kicker position after only one week, and there's an irony here in my opinion, but Frank Reich, your thoughts on the analysis, the evaluation after just one game and one missed kick and where things stand with Rodrigo Blankenship? Everything wavers, right? I mean, um, a player's confidence in his own ability wavers that's nothing new um, in this business. That's one of the crazy things about this business that I love so much that no matter who you are, the longer, if you play long enough, you're going to, you're going to have bad, a bad day or bad days and your confidence is going to waver. And it's how you respond to that. It's just, and it's everybody. There's no exception. To me, there's no exceptions to that. The greatest players in the world, their confidence wavers. And so obviously as we evaluate that, and how we feel about it, you consider all those things. Um, and then it's a question of, hey, guy had a bad day. Can he bounce back? Um, do we have patience for a guy to bounce back? Those are all the things you think through and talk through. Here's the problem with that. A couple of things. Number one, other players, and this is, this is perhaps unfair, but it's reality. A left tackle has a bad day gives up a sack, maybe it comes at a key moment, but for the most part, it's it, it gets disguised a little bit in the totality of the game. You could say, in theory, you know, a, a linebacker misses a a key tackle and allows for a key first down. It, you know, that maybe that's the game's ceiling play, but more often than not, it, it's lost in the totality of the game. The, the reality is you can say that Games never come down to just one play or just one player. Yeah, they do. They really do. I mean, more often than not, than not, they do. Right. I mean, sure. There's no doubt about the fact that if a guy comes out for a field goal at the end of the game to win the game and he misses the field goal, well, that wouldn't have been for the game if so and so catches a first down at the end of the half and the other team wouldn't get the ball back and go down and score, or if we don't miss a, a you know a blown punt, you know, whatever. I get it. But in the reality, the game is in the balance still with everything else that's happened, and one play can swing the result of the game. And it sucks for kickers that it comes down to them in those situations, but that's more often than not the case. There is no position probably in sports, maybe pitcher in baseball, that is more mental than kicker. Golf, I guess. I mean, but – in team sports, there are few 
positions become more mental than kicker. Mike Vanderjat was the most, and believe me, he mentioned that any time he was interviewed, he was the most consistent kicker in the history of the NFL for a very long time. Had the highest percentage of field goals made. And I liked Vanderjat because of the fact that when he would miss, he would stand and answer every single question. Never shied away from it. But what's interesting about Vanderjat, during the time that he was the kicker for the Colts, he might have missed, let's say, six, eight field goals. They were like the six or eight most important of his career. He did have a few clutch ones in Denver in the snow. I remember hitting back-to-back 50-yarders. It was impressive. But it's mental, and it becomes mental. And for Blankenship, does this now become mental? But the bigger question is, for Chris Ballard, like this was not a surprise to anybody that when you had you 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 elected for a kicker and stood by a kicker that from 40 out is shaky and you put yourself in position where one penalty or one fumble or one sack late in a game when you're trying to set up for a field goal and you move yourself 8 yards back you put yourself in serious trouble and what's curious to me is this is a franchise this is a coach this is a general manager and I get the fact that Adam Vinatieri was probably the greatest kicker of all time, but they stood by him way too long. Cost themselves multiple games by standing by Vinatieri and being loyal to him as a kicker. And is that accelerating now the the hook that they're about to give possibly Rodrigo Blankenship, even though, admittedly, I'm not trying to talk out of both sides of my mouth, I, most people felt like that was – a curious selection at the beginning of the year to begin with, right? So, so the Rodrigo Blankenship situation is giving me uh, past memories of 2018 for the Bears with Cody Parkey. He did not have a very good 2018. And heading into the playoffs, everybody said he's been shaky all season. If the game comes down to a kick, do you think he can make it? And I remember when he lined up again that uh, in that kick for the Eagles that ended up being the double doink. Zero confidence I had in him making that kick. Sure enough, the double doink happened, lives in infamy. Um, and so I think that the same thing's going to happen, is that Blankenship has already showed you that he's struggled, he can't hit from deep, and then another game is going to come down maybe late in the season that the Colts really need, maybe to get in the playoffs, maybe to clinch the AFC South, and he might shank it. And I just don't think there's much confidence in him. And the fact that they went through an offseason, went through a training camp, and he's still the guy it leaves me with a lot of pause going forward. I don't have much confidence in it. I don't think a lot of Colts fans have confidence in it. you got to wonder what the teammates think when, hey, if this kick comes down to it, the game is on the line, can we trust this guy to hit from deep? And I don't think it's there. Mark wants to weigh in on that. Mark, yeah, what's up? Hey, um, Jake, you were talking about the pressure on a kicker in the NFL, kind of saying, you know, like a PGA golfer, you know, missing a putt or something like that. The difference between – Rod Rodrigo and let's say Braden Smith, who also had a bad game, is Rodrigo's on the field, including kickoffs and touchdowns and extra points, maybe on a good game, 10, 10 plays. Would you agree right. with that? Totally. And his and the biggest difference is, and this is probably where you're going with this, Mark, when Rodrigo yeah. Blankenship is performing his assigned task, he is doing it with that assigned task being the only task that needs to be operated in that moment on the field. So every Not spotlight is on him. Uh, that that wasn't where I was going to go, but he has such a limited scope 
of that assigned task that his errors were magnified Correct. and intensified. Yeah. And and in that game, he not just had the missed field goal, he had the two kickoffs out of bounds, too. You know, do you that, remember, Mark? A, hey, Mark, you set me up perfectly Jake, there. Jake, Jake, you're in school. What would 70% get you in school? That would be a C, or in my case, all I need to pass algebra. Okay, so passing is cool, but that's not the bar that Bursay set at the end of the year last year. When we lost the Jacksonville game, what was what was the standard that was set? Yeah, I, we got rid of a we got rid of a quarterback that gave us twenty seven touchdowns last year. Okay, the, the the line was drawn that basically it's playoffs or bust with Rodrigo as our kicker, and he actually I, I will I will make a case for the fact that he cost us the Ravens game last year. So if we would have won the Ravens game, which we were up what like twenty nine to three or something like that. He cost us that game. If we won that game, we would have been in the playoffs. He cost us this game. And the difference between, say, Braden Smith, who, like I said, also had a bad game, is Braden's scope of work is a lot more. They, right. Yeah, now I get it. I, I totally get it, Mark. I mean, point. I, I totally get it. I mean, I agree with you. I think we're saying the same thing here. I, in the case of Blankenship, um, you know, listen, the Carson Wentz deal that you brought up, I'm not going to say that was personal with Ursay, but there was an extent to an extent that was personal with Ursay. I, I, I will say that he, Jim Ursay was not going to have his franchise go out there with Carson Wentz at quarterback, plain plain and simple. And and people can get into whatever reason they want. Bottom line is that was owner driven. Todd, what's up? Hey, morning, fellas. Hello. Morning. So you know, you talk about the psychology of kicking. Um, by the way, Jake, if I remember right, uh, after Vanderjack missed that kick against Pittsburgh, he eventually ended up in Dallas, and his career came to a pretty quick halt. Um, well, he got hurt in Dallas. You are correct. He, I, I can't remember if he was here for one more year, but when he went to Dallas, he he got hurt. He missed a couple of key kicks in Dallas, including against the Colts, if I'm not mistaken. And then it turned out he had it was I don't I can't remember if it was a hip flexor or a hip rotator or something like that, and he got hurt, and that was the end of that. Correct. And you mentioned pitchers as well, and they used to call it Steve Blast disease. But he, man, he is the poster <laughs> child, right? Yeah, but you you saw it with with guys like Steve Sachs and Chuck Knobloch that couldn't throw the ball fifty feet to first base. Um, and I've even seen it with 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 basketball players at the free throw line, guys that were eighty percent shooters in high school because they were the star of the team and had a lot of confidence. All of a sudden, they're in a different a different environment and become you know fifty two percent shooters. Um, but getting back to the psychology of kicking with, with Blankenship, do you think that the two out-of-bound kicks affected the field goal? Because I could see if he was getting berated or chastised or lectured or instructed, use choose your own word, um, on the sideline, that I could see that getting into his head a little bit. So it, it, it's, it's such an odd such an odd position in football. So I just wanted to get your guys' feedback. Yeah, I, you know, Todd, listen, I'm not a pro athlete, and I don't pretend to be a pro athlete. But one thing that, just as an example, you know, the, in anything in life, we can always find analogies or find comparisons that make things relatable. And I played a ton of basketball growing up. I mean, that's all I would do as a kid was I'd go out uh, in the neighbor's driveway and shoot baskets. I mean, for hours upon hours upon hours. And I played a ton of pickup ball. I played organized basketball, et cetera. And I was never afraid to shoot. 
and literally like a year ago, I was at the gym and I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go shoot around a little bit. And I found myself thinking through my shot and what had been instinct for me for 40 years. Like I literally was thinking through every mechanic of it and it totally altered the way I was shooting. And like all of a sudden I was overthinking it and, and what was natural where I would shoot well for like a two days, I, this happened to me. And then I kind of, it was a funk I got out of. And I, yes, is it possible that Blankenship hit the ball the wrong way on kickoffs and, and then he began to think through the mechanics of his foot making contact with the football? Yes. Crazy as it sounds, yes. And that leads, Mark, to another point that I'd like to make because, as you know, I, I, there's nothing that I love more on this radio program than occasionally impressing myself. You guys laughed when we did the the list of most indispensable Colts. I know where you're going. Everyone laughed. And again, I was saying it to make the point of the vernacular of the request of what players are most indispensable. And I said Rigoberto Sanchez. And then I explained the reason I used Rigoberto Sanchez as my 10th player on my list of 10 was twofold. Number one, because I think he's been a really good player that has not been given enough credit, and that was kind of the opportunity to give him credit. And then number two, because he performs a task that no one else on the roster performed. Yes, it was easy to go out and find somebody off the wire that was made available in Buffalo to do what he does. Yes, that is true. But what else did he do? He was the holder for extra points and field goals. And he is the kickoff kicker. And and what two areas snake bit Rodrigo Blankenship on Sunday? Yep. Yeah. And you swing field position with those missed kickoffs. Correct. It's, it's wild. Correct. There's more to being a punter than just punting the football. That's not to, to give a knock in any way towards who's doing it now as much as to tip of the cap to Rigoberto Sanchez, who performed two things that get a little bit overlooked, lost, or underappreciated in the shuffle. We'll continue the conversation. Joel Erickson joining us just over 30 minutes from now. Kevin and Corey, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. 8 o'clock hour underway in Indianapolis. It's the 8 o'clock hour underway everywhere in the Eastern Time Zone, for that matter. My name is Jake Query. Mark Dykton, the pride of Chicago. Oh, yeah. And the University of Indianapolis joins us on the program here as Kevin Bowen is on paternity leave. Sam Fritz, the pride of the city of brotherly love, is here as well. Sam, you went to where for college? Shippensburg University. Shippensburg University. Yes. Okay. And that's a private school? No, state school. Uh, is it about really? an hour and a half south of Penn State. Okay. And so you're a Nittany Lion fan? Uh, yeah, but that's just due to association with my father. What's Shippenburg? Shippensburg? Shippensburg with an S between. Okay. What's their, um, mascot? We're the Red Raiders. Okay. Our mascot is a, uh, bird though. A parrot, <laughs> I believe. Well, that makes sense. That, that's perfectly, perfectly understandable. Nothing says Red Raider like you can, too can, right? Well, our, our logo is a pirate ship, right? So, ah, okay. So, yeah, the- so it's a parrot. I mean, it all fits, even if it's not aye, the best. Matey, uh, okay. I well, wait a minute. A, are they the Red Raiders or the Pirates? The Red Raiders, but a pirate is a raider is synonymous with a pirate. I, I would disagree. A raider, if I'm not mistaken, is more like a marauder. They they operate on land, pirate by sea, right? Well, of course, I'm going to Google this. 
As soon as a pirate docks his boat, he becomes a raider maybe at that point, but a pirate's a guy over the ocean. A raider's a guy on land that marauds, right? Raids. I, 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 I'm going to concede the argument right now because a marauder is one of the very first synonyms for raider on uh, dictionary. Okay, and what is, it, what is the definition? A person who attacks an enemy in the enemy's territory, which, given sea law, which I'm very up-to-date on, maritime law, uh, there's no such thing as sea territory. Right, so it would be by land, right? Yeah, yeah. A raider, a pirate by land. Uh, we've been talking about Hot Rod, Rodrigo Blankenship. Dave wants to join the conversation, and I'm sure is thrilled to be steering us away from pirate marauder debate. Hi, Dave. Good morning. I just want to know if the kid from Shippensburg wrestled while he was there. <laughs> did you wrestle at Shippensburg, Sam? I did not wrestle, no. I was all radio all the time. Okay. Do you know how hard it is to wrestle on a pirate boat? Especially with a toucan pecking at your head. <laughs> That's right. What's up, Dave? So I think it's it's absolutely ridiculous that our media people writing stories and listening to all of the people calling in for due days that want to point out Mr. Obvious, guy missed a kick. The guy also had bad snaps. The guy also had a new holder. The Colts had the ball nine minutes longer than Houston and outgained them by almost 200 yards and were behind going into the fourth quarter and were lucky that they even had a chance. Our coach who tells us all year long, every year, that camp's going great, everybody looks wonderful, is 0-4-1 in his five seasons. And we're blaming a kicker. Sounds like the witch hunt they did with Wentz to me. Okay, so Dave, let me ask you this. As how's tell me where the media is wrong in this? We're, we're relaying to you the information that Frank Reich is talking about. Well, here's the thing, and I no, it's just stories that are being written, and it's the conversation that's going on. Kid missed a kick. He wasn't the only kicker that missed a kick. Understood, year. but if he misses a kick, and they're insinuating that they are concerned about it, or they're bringing in other kickers, then what are we supposed to do? Ignore well, what it. You want them to say that huh? they're not concerned about it. It's okay to say you're concerned about it. It's like you. If you're on the radio and you're having a bad day on air or your your voice isn't quite normal because your throat's sore and somebody says, we're a little concerned about Jake, do you think he's sick? doesn't mean you're ready to get rid of you. Okay. It means that, that they're concerned. And so so what are we supposed to say? Like The, the media overreacts to everything. Do they? Do they or are we just – well, which is it? Is the media too soft or they overreact on everything? They overreact to everything. They overreacted. But how is it overreacting? If Frank Reich says, you know, listen, we're evaluating it. His confidence is an area of concern. So we in the media say his confidence is an area of concern. How is that us overreacting? Yeah, Frank Reich also told you guys that they were ready. They were having a great camp. They didn't look ready to me. Did they look ready to you? No, I don't recall him. I mean, of course, he probably each week was like, you know, hey, we, we feel good about things, whatever. I don't, but but were we parroting that, or were we an, analyzing what he was saying? Well, I'm not saying. That so if we if we were to I'm let me ask you this, Dave, by you saying that Frank Reich, let's let's turn it this way. Frank Reich said that they they looked ready, and now you're saying they didn't look ready. Are you overreacting to what he said? No, I'm not overreacting to what he said. I'm I'm reacting to what I saw. Right, but how, so I who's to determine whether or not that's an overreaction? No, what I saw was a team that had the ball nine minutes longer than a team that they should have been able to beat that they embarrassed last year, and a team that they outgained by over 200 yards, 
and they were behind going into the fourth quarter and were lucky to get the game tied, and everybody wants to focus on the kicker missed the kick. Yeah, because when it comes down to it, you are right, Dave. There's no question. I mean, Dave, I totally agree with you on this, and I know you know football. There's no doubt about the fact that they – over the course of the game, they were flat. They were – I mean, it was bad. No doubt about it. It was bad. But you start from, let's say, the outside working in, and the first thing that comes to mind is when it came down to it, they still put themselves in position to potentially win the game, and a guy who has one job did not do it to win the game. And so that is an area of scrutiny. Does that mean that he automatically needs to be like, you know – paraded around and shamed on Monument Circle. I'm not saying that, but it's an area of, by their own admission, it's an area of scrutiny. Andrew, what's up? Yeah, I was just kind of calling to talk about the uh, lack of accountability with Colts and, and Hot Rod. You know, we've got a young kicker in here that has no leg. And, you know, that's been the case since he came in. And, you know, the guy on the phone was just saying he missed a kick, but it's in, it's in the first kick he's missed. And he's not got a, guys have got a track record of, you know, of making successful kicks or kicks that matter and to me that's a you know yeah they, they lost one game because of the kicker but it's a bigger symptom of a lack of accountability with the Colts you know I'm not saying you'd have to fire the guy and not let him on the plane when they get done with the game but there's nothing wrong with coming out in the press conference afterwards saying yeah that you know kicking the issue we're gonna have to take a look at it this week and I think that stems you know yeah the kicker is one position on the team but you have a lack of accountability throughout the roster you know, if you're not going to hold the kicker accountable, uh, a position I shouldn't say that's easy to flip, but, I mean, wh- how what's everybody else think on the roster? I mean, there is some truth to the fact, appreciate it, Andrew, there is some truth to the fact that, Mark, let's be honest, you know, Blankenship, this is the position they put themselves in. They're like, who, who, you know, what other kickers are out there? Right. The options aren't great. I was just looking at them in the break, and, and there aren't great options, but, again, it hasn't just been one kick. It's been a three seasons of sample size, and he's – an 83% career kicker. He's missed nine field goals. His one made 50-yarder was 54 yards. He's one for four from 50 yards in his career, and he's missed four extra points. So, I mean, it isn't just a one-kick situation. If it's a one-kick situation, then I agree we are blowing it out of proportion, but it's a track record that he cannot make the big kicks. He can't be trusted from deep, and now here you are heading to a season where, you again, you have aspirations of winning the division, possibly making a playoff run, and Week one in the gates, you end up with a tie because your kicker couldn't hit a field goal. I just get tired of, I'm not going to lie to you, and it has nothing to do with me personally. I get so tired of the whole, like, it's just the media's soft. The media's soft. Media in this town's too soft. They're overreacting. They're, 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 which is it? Are we too soft or are we being too hard on Rodrigo Blankenship? I personally think that always resorting to the media is soft, media blame thing is a sign of lack of original thought and intellect. That's just my thought. And what do you think the Colts demand out of their kicker? They wouldn't they like to see him do better? Like they have a pedigree and they have a expectation. It's not the media driving it. It's Frank Reich in a press conference being asked about it, saying about his mental capacity to be able to handle these kicks and pressure. So it's not just the media driven. It's also the team and their expectations they place on the position. Hey, Sean, what's up? Man, I don't know if you ever played football, but I remember playing. And one year, we we were dropping balls like crazy. And, and the coach looked at us and said, if you guys, this game, you guys don't man up and start catching the ball, you're done. And I remember going out for a pass. And, man, in my mind, that, that what he said kept, kept reiterating. And 
I used to catch everything. And I had to – I remember I actually thought to myself, I'm going to drop this ball. I didn't, but Rodrigo has never had a chance to feel comfortable here. I mean, we're con- the kids didn't miss any field goals in college, did he? It's not like he can't kick. But when you're constantly hearing you're not good enough, you don't kick long enough, everything, he's walking out there thinking, man, i got to hit this kick. But I thought you said that. In, I thought you said when you played football, once the coach said if you drop the ball, you're not going to play again. You never dropped it again. No, I just, that time went once I was thinking about it. But in my, I almost, I could have made myself drop. So what do you we know, need to do? We need to start holding like a morning. Do we need to start playing songs about how great Rodrigo Blankenship is no, to build his confidence? No, Jake. Don't be a smart ass. I'm not being. No, I'm being serious. Like what? I'm asking legitimately. You know what I'm? You just made the point. You said. When you actually thought about shooting the ball, it, it was right. a whole different totally. shot. Totally. That, there, there ain't zero chance that Rodrigo Blankenship's confidence is being rattled because a morning radio guy in town is talking about it. That's totally within him on his on his own, right? I didn't say anything about media. I think you guys are overreactors. There's probably 300 shows I could prove that, but I didn't say anything about that. We're constantly having kickers in there. The minute we brought kickers in the challenge, uh, uh, I can't even think right now. He couldn't kick, and he was the greatest ever for the Colts. So, so what I'm asking, Sean, I'm not asking this defiantly. I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm asking you legitimately if it were up to you, if Chris Ballard called you on the phone and said, what is your advice for what we need to do to allow Rodrigo Blankenship to find consistency that allows us to reliably have faith in him, what would your answer be? Uh, yeah, Jake, I don't know about that. I mean, it's the first game. Then why in the hell are you calling here? If you don't have any ideas, why are you calling here and getting on me about it? I'm not getting on you. I, was just, I didn't say anything about you. But, okay, but I'm asking you legitimately, what is your advice? One more game, I guess. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, what, what, the hell? <laughs> Bill, what's up? Hey, good morning, guys. What's up, uh, Bill? Number one, Sean, who just called, um, I, I think he was from the participation trophy era, and that may be a little bit of his problem. But Rodrigo did miss a big kick. I don't know how many in Georgia, though, but he lost a game for those guys, a big kick. So there is a history of that. Uh, and, and I think you guys aren't making light of this. This is little things or big things. And, and if he's going to consistently – you guys brought it up earlier, but when he kicked those two out of bounds – on the kickoff, that's a huge deal. Um, I don't remember what the Texans did on those two drives, but it, it could have been, you know, left us with no chance to tie that game up. And so that's a bigger deal than people think it is. Um, and, you know, they gave Vinatieri the benefit of the doubt, and deservedly so, because he's a Hall of Famer. But they let him hang on too long. The year right. And I, if I'm not mistaken, they basically, after the fact, Bill said that, right? Like, hey, you know what? We probably went yeah. too long there. Well, and, well Rodrigo's far from a Hall of Famer, and he's not, not got nearly the resume that Ben and Terry has or earns the respect that that guy has, and they got to make a change quickly because this will turn into, if this turns into three or four games, and yeah, you can blame it on the offense didn't do this and the offense didn't do that, but you get paid to kick the damn ball. It ain't like he's in tackling drills all day and only has a few opportunities to kick during practice. That's all you do. I mean, that's your job. Do your job. That's all I got. Appreciate it, Bill. Hey, I didn't realize that that people would be have this many opinions on Blankenship. I like it, right? Hey, I mean, 
kickers bring out the best and worst than people. <laughs> I guess that's true. What's up, Matt? Yeah, good morning, guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, I'll, I, I'll keep it real simple. I just want to say this about Blankenship. In every profession, it doesn't matter if it's football, basketball, uh, if you're an accountant, it doesn't matter what your profession is. Everybody needs to be held accountable. Blankenship has one job, and that's to make field goals. So being too hard on them, being too soft on them, you know, to me, <clears throat> it's not even about that. It, he's not making kicks. It's a problem. It needs to be addressed, point blank, simple. Yeah, and I get it. Appreciate it, Matt. I, I get the fact that, listen, the reality is this. Kicking is a position that is largely mental. And sometimes guys go through the yips. I mean, they call it in baseball the yips, right? And if your kicker's going through the yips and he's already a kicker that has shown that you've got to put yourself in better field position just to, to not even have the yips come into play, that's an issue. And all I'm – listen, I'm just telling you when the Colts themselves are opening the door towards the scrutiny that they're evaluating the position, it is our job and responsibility – to opine and assess that viewpoint. And that's exactly what we're doing, right? Now, as for mental blocks, the Jacksonville Jaguars, I think, have been that. And I think it comes from last year. If you look at, and I'm telling you, a year ago, the Colts went down to Jacksonville. Jim Mersey already there was a riff, for lack of a better phrase, an unhappiness for Jim Mersey with Carson Wentz for a number of reasons. I'm not making this up. You can tell me that we are. You can tell that whatever. I'm just telling you, Jim Mersey already going into the Jacksonville game had his doubts about Carson Wentz. But there was probably an opportunity still because winning cures all. And there was an opportunity going into that Jacksonville game for Carson Wentz to still salvage that relationship. And they went into Jacksonville in a against a historically bad team, needing a win to continue their season. And you know what happened. And Jim Mersey was livid. Not upset, livid. Not offended, livid. And that became the benchmark by which the entire offseason was dedicated. That game in Jacksonville. And everything became for Jim Ursay about making sure that that embarrassment was absolutely you know, erased. Here you are now, so there's already that pressure about Jacksonville going back to the house of horrors, going back to the scene of the crime, that alone is going to have and create this additional pressure. Some of that created by the owner to the rest of the to the rest of the roster. Listen, guys, he didn't say it outright. Jacksonville's the benchmark, but Jacksonville's the benchmark. That's the game in which still Jim Mercer wakes up in the middle of the night in a deep sweat. Okay, and now they put themselves in position because sure they didn't lose in week one, but they didn't win, and they didn't look good. And yes, Blankenship, is he the scapegoat? Maybe. 
but it came down to the fact that you still could salvage and you didn't get it because you missed that kick. And so therefore you start from the outside in, but now they go into Jacksonville, which has been the place that they've been thinking about and waking up from the top of the franchise sweating about. So does that now mean additional pressure, additional mental block going back to Jacksonville? Frank Reich, your thoughts. New season, yes, but does it mean same old pressure and going back and facing the Jags? Every year is a new year, so it, this means something different to every person on the team. What really, and so what we talked about today is, hey, everybody kind of do your own thing. You know, you everybody has their own motivation. You know, there's always layers of motivation, right? So um, for the guys who haven't been here, for the guys who this is their first year, that doesn't mean that doesn't mean much to them. I mean, yeah, they're wearing a horseshoe, so in that respect, it does. But our prime motive, our prime primary motivation is about this team this year, the opportunity that we have in front of us this week to play a road division game um, and have an opportunity to go one and know this week is a really big deal. That is the primary motivation. He can play it as calm, cool, and collected as he wants. There's no way that Frank Reich is heading into Sunday thinking the Jaguars game is just another game knowing who that owner is of the Indianapolis Colts. There's no way. After coming off of last season, following it up with what you put on display on Sunday against the Texans, there's no way that is just another game in Frank's, Frank Reich's mind. If he truly, if you gave him the truth serum, he would not say that. I don't believe. Listen, your boss, no matter what you do, you're driving into work right now. You're a math teacher. You're a painter. You're a landscaper. You're an accountant. You know, everybody, that there's one thing that your boss emphasizes more so than bosses at other accounting firms, other landscaping places. Some landscaping places, the, the landscaper is super neurotic about the way the shrubs look when you get done with the job. Others, they're like, no, the, the yard has to be lined a perfect way. It's different. Every boss is different. I'm telling you, for the Colts, for this year, and it is different. Frank, Frank Reich's right. It's different every year. But for this year, the hurdle is, for right now, the still lingering effect of that from a year ago. And I'm telling you, that collapse in Jacksonville still weighs large. And until 100%. you can exercise that demon, it is absolutely different for the owner. Because to the owner, this game is different. I'm telling you. That game in Jacksonville last year, that was, to Jim Irsay, a slam dunk. You've got to be kidding me that they that my team went out there and laid this kind of an egg. How in the hell did this happen? And yes, did he scapegoat Carson Wentz? Maybe, but it's because he had a preconceived notion about Carson Wentz going into that game, and that cemented his concern. Now, Carson Wentz is gone. So Frank Reich has to know, sure, he may not lose his job if they lose in Jacksonville, but Frank Reich absolutely 100% unequivocally, without question and without doubt, has tangible proof that the owner is, and it's different because the playoffs were resting on that game, but that particular franchise, Jacksonville, is seen as a absolute must-have, can't-let-it-get-away win for the owner. There's proof of that. 
And for whatever reason, through this franchise's recent history, it's been an Achilles heel. When they go to Jacksonville, they just, I don't know what happens. I don't know if they drink something odd in the water over there or whatever. You but, know, that's Maxwell House. Oh, is that what it is? Yeah, it's based oh. in Jacksonville. Well, the, whole, the whole city smells like Maxwell House coffee when they're roasting it. It's wonderful. Oh, well, I don't know what, doesn't smell like that when the Colts play in but Jacksonville. But last year, the Colts much. were not good to the last drop. And last game, they weren't good to the last drop because Rodrigo Blankenship Missed the kick, right? Right. And it's crazy to say that week two is a must win in a season, but when you've got the Chiefs and the Titans right behind them and you laid an egg in Houston, I mean, you tell me, is week two a must win in your eyes? Because I get it. They're in the AFC South. It's probably the weakest division in football, but at some point you got to stop relying on the crappiness of your division to get you through the season. I feel like eventually you got to put the foot on the pedal and start stepping on some throats. And I feel like they didn't do that last year against Jacksonville. They didn't do it to start the season against Houston. And they sure as hell better do it on Sunday against the Jaguars. What's up, Mike? Uh, first of all, I'd like to say that we did lay an egg and we need to beat up on Jacksonville. It's about, about time we did something. Uh, hey, listen. This is actually Macho Mike. What's up, Mike? Uh, hey, so do you agree? It- up on ja- Jacksonville and and Angel sends you a hug. Keep Teresa in your prayers. I'll make this quick. Saturday night, I was actually uh, make one ch- different thing. I was, di- was part of the halftime show for the Indy 11. Oh, you really? You did? Did you do the YMCA? Yes. Mike, let me tell you something. You need to do the YMCA for the Colts in Jacksonville because you're right. It's different. I'm telling you. They, and they. Somebody said that. And listen, we know the connotation of this. Rodrigo Blankenship needs a slump buster. I'm told now. Do the Colts need a slump buster with Jacksonville? That sure would be nice. I mean, you saw that Carson Wentz throws on a commander's jersey. He gets it done against Jacksonville all of a sudden. Look, they had... Jim Mercy had to be pissed by that result, by the way. Are you kidding me? Of course. They had all kinds of... They had breakdowns all over the field. No doubt about it. Was it the was it that the ball wasn't spun right for Blankenship? The hold was bad. Listen, I, I I said before, you've got a new guy. Rigoberto Sanchez was underrated in multiple areas, right? Does one game make a season? No, but it could. Was determine- it all on Blankenship? No, but there is precedent there. There is tangible evidence and proof that Rodrigo Blankenship's shortcoming in that game may not be an anomaly. That's the issue that's the concern i said it yesterday if we can see it why can't you and again the colts have gone to bat with rodrigo blankenship we'll see what happens but not a good start to the season for sure so. uh, joel erickson in about 10 minutes but first the morning check down the morning check down brought to you by ball state football get your tickets at ballstatesports.com on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. We long for football, and we're already through week one of the NFL season. That ended last night with the Seattle Seahawks stunning Russell Wilson and the Denver Broncos 17-16 in Seattle. It's a very entertaining game. The Broncos shot themselves in the foot multiple times in the red zone, and uh, Nathaniel Hackett curiously opted for a 64-yard field goal instead of going for it on fourth and five with Russell Wilson. So the Seahawks take a 17-16 win, move to 1-0, surprisingly, atop the NFC West through week one of the NFL season. Week two kicks off with a doozy on Thursday night. It's the first Amazon Prime game of the year. The Los Angeles Chargers travel to take on 
Patrick Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs. That do you have is Amazon Prime? One. I do not, but I will have it for that game for sure. See, that's why they did it. They Mark. they hooked me. That's why they got you. There's a 30 day free trial, so <laughs> I'll be getting away scot free <laughs> okay. for a little bit. Uh, Pittsburgh Pirates over the Reds 6-3 yesterday. Major League Baseball's Cubs over the Mets 5-2. Dodgers over the Diamondbacks 6-love. Giants over the Braves 3-2. And then the American League, it was Cleveland over L.A., Houston over Detroit, and Toronto over Tampa. Big news in terms of the um, Major League Baseball watch is Albert Pujols now just three home runs away, by the way, from 700. I think he's going to do it. I think he is, too. I don't think there's any question. As much about as I it. hate to say it, as being a Cubs fan. Uh, did we mention the NFL last night? Did you already? Do we that? did. Yeah, that was the first thing we talked about. I don't know. I was. Hi, up welcome the... to the show. Well, here's the thing: we have this new computer system, and I had to try to find where the scores are. I can't find where the hell anything is anymore. Right? Yeah. Um, not well. We could switch topics, though. Not good for Notre Dame football. Did you see that news? Notre Dame is going to have to now go to their backup quarterback for the rest of the year. Correct. Correct. Four months out. Not good. I have not seen yet. Scotty didn't send it. That's no indictment on Scotty. He probably didn't send, did send it. I, I, I'm still navigating my way You're through the new the system. Quiz? No, the new uh, AP Top 25. Oh, okay. I would imagine that Notre Dame has fallen completely out of the rankings. Am I correct? I, I'm pretty sure they have, yeah. they. I can't imagine how they would have even hung on to anything at that point. Uh, the AP Top 25 is out, and in fact, Notre Dame is out of the Top 25. Number one team in the land now, Georgia. Alabama is second, followed by Ohio State, Michigan, and Clemson. The top five, Oklahoma, USC, Oklahoma State. The Cats of Kentucky and Pig Suey, Arkansas, rounding out the top ten. Joel A. Erickson is with the Indianapolis Star, covers the Colts. Joins us next, Kevin and Query. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Kevin and Query on a Tuesday morning. I'm Mark Dykton in for Kevin Bowen, who's on paternity leave as he and his wife Maddie welcomed Max Bowen into the world uh, last Friday. Jay Query here as well. Sam Fritz on the ones and twos. Joining us now on the Payless Liquors Hotline, Indianapolis Star Colts reporter Joel Erickson. And Joel will just start it off right out of the gate. Uh, Rodrigo Blankenship, you got some interesting quotes from him uh, following the tie in Houston. Uh, what are your thoughts on what Rodrigo Blankenship's headspace is following the game in Houston, and what do you think the Colts do going forward with him? Yeah, so it was, it was a little hard to read some of the stuff he said because if you take it on face value, it's it's really tough to swallow. I think especially the piece, he was asked a question about, you know, he made kicks early in the game um, and trying to sustain that through, through the whole game to the, to the, the end of it, and, and he said, uh, something along the lines of I don't have the exact quote right in front of me. It's something along the lines of a tie is better than a loss, and it just didn't it didn't come off great um, because the, you know it, a, a tie is better than a loss, but they could have it should have been a win. You know uh, that 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 wasn't the choice when when they lined up for that field goal, um, and I I think part of that is just trying to you have to try to move forward somehow if you're an athlete. You can't just wallow necessarily in, in the mistake. And, and you hear that with guys all the time. Is they're, they're trying to figure out if you wallow in the mistake, you're going to keep making them. So I think part of that is just trying to move past it. But with what the Colts do, um, it, it felt like when, when Vinatieri went through this, you know, so much of it was about who Vinatieri had been, his consistency over the years. We don't have that with Blankenship. Um, we, We've got a history of missed kicks and big moments, big kicks, long kicks. 
I think it's something that we talked about uh, definitely on this show, you know, all through training camp and the off season that the kicker position was one you didn't feel settled about or good about. And then, so when you have a big kick in that situation, um, you, you sort of expect them to make a move, uh, whether or not they do, I, I don't know. They've, they've kind of zigged in this situation when everyone else thinks they should zag. Uh, but it, it felt like just the lack of consistency they said over and over in training camp that you want consistency. You can't have a, a, a hit like that on a 42-yard field goal. If you miss it, you know, miss it because something went a little wrong, not, not a lot wrong like that. I mean, that kick was never close. You know, I, I just – Joel, a lot of people pointed this out, and I think it's fair. Rodrigo Blankenship's a nice guy. He's a fun personality. You know, he's he's – seemingly off field done all the right things said all the right things whatever else bottom line and i the guy didn't have a strong enough leg plain and simple i mean no matter how dialed in he is i listen if if you were an nba general manager and your shooting guard is a guy that needs to hit three-point shots for you and you realize that he is the most deadly mid-range shooter in the nba but once you get him out to, to three-point range he's a 35 percent shooter that's not good enough same thing right yeah, and and I think the 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 part that comes on to the back end of it too is just he's not deadly necessarily from middle range. I mean he's he's good from middle range. He's but but there's 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 misses in big situations. There's a 33 yard miss against Buffalo in the playoffs. There's the 42 yard miss yesterday. You know it's uh, my my editor Nat Newell looked it up and that's an 82. The NFL over the last ten years is is forty or eighty two point two percent from forty two yards. It, this one this one is in a dome. <laughs> it's in a dome. There's no weather. There's no there's no nothing to worry about with the footing. It's just a kick that has to be made. Like you, you get down to the forty two. I don't think any fan watching any NFL game thinks it's a miss. They just don't. Um, not unless you're dealing with you know. Uh, a backup long snapper like Cincinnati was on, on Sunday or something like that. But if, if a kicker gets to 42 yards, you're just thinking of that as a make. Um, and it just, it has to be closer than it was. So Frank Reich mentioned uh, talking with Ballard about the kicking situation. Is there any chance a kicker or two comes to West 56 this week, or do you think they're just going to ride Rodrigo into Jacksonville and I, go from there? I think there's a chance that there's tryouts. Uh, I think there's a, there's a chance that there's a move made. They, you know, Reich was was given a chance to to express his confidence in in Blankenship yesterday, and he he stopped short of doing that, which is not like him. Um, in general, in general, his his philosophy is as long as they're on the team, uh, he's confident in them and he's supporting them until they're not. Uh, and he he stopped a little bit short of that, I thought, in his answers yesterday. And, and so I, I think there's definitely a possibility of a kicking move that goes beyond tryouts, that goes to an actual move. Joel Erickson is our guest. Joel, I want to shift to the Jacksonville game, and I'm going to give you – I'm going to spell out something for you. We're going to do a thing that I do a lot, which is I'm going to spell out something, and then you tell me, in your opinion, uh, you know, hyperbole or reality, okay? Um, for whatever reason – well, I know the reason last year – uh, Jim Irsay spent basically six months flip-flopping in bed and waking up in the middle of the night in a cold sweat, sometimes to auction on guitars and the rest of the time because Jacksonville still was haunting him. And for that reason, Frank Reich has to know that this game, despite what he says, is totally different. 
because they put themselves in position now where it's going to feel like they are taking on water, not just because they are still winless after two games if they don't win on Sunday, but also because they did not slay the dragon and exercise the demon that has most haunted their franchise and their their owner more than anything of the last five years. And the pressure's mounting. Your thoughts? I I think... I think based on the owners' meetings, I would I think that that maybe Tennessee winning the last couple division titles is a bigger deal to Ursa than than the Jacksonville thing, but I agree with you that this game is more than just uh, a road game in the division, uh, especially given the fact that they tied. Um, you know this they this team has gotten itself out during the right era has gotten itself out of some some bad situations, so you can't you can never really write them off. Um, but you when you look at the schedule, you look at Houston and Jacksonville and. And they're they're both cursed games. The opener is a cursed game for the Colts, and the Jacksonville is a cursed game for whatever reason. I mean, there's some really inexplicable ones in there. The the 2018 one to me is the most confusing one to understand in retrospect because that was the hottest team in football. Um, but in terms of this game, what it means, I do think that there's added weight to it in terms of what it means to this team. You know, people were mentioning it, Quentin Nelson. Uh, Kenny Moore mentioned it in the locker room. We have to play well at Jacksonville. It's a place we haven't played well at all. It's it's on the minds of the guys who have been down there and lost games that they should have won. It is pretty wild that like we're at the point in the with the franchise that the Jaguars and Texans are given the Colts fits. Usually they those are you know earmarked as four wins right out of the gate. Now you're happy to leave Houston with a tie and you're sweating heading into Jacksonville. Uh, speaking of that, is there any insight? Have you gotten any about Ursay's reaction to Sunday's game against the Texans, how they followed up last season's stinker of a finale and they followed it up with a tie in Houston? Nothing other than his, nothing other than his tweets, which were, um, I thought, vaguely positive, um, maybe more positive than I was about it. So, you know, he had the tweet about 517 yards. I don't have anything from behind the scenes on that. Okay, and then regarding uh, Shaq Leonard's timetable, uh, obviously he took a step back last se- last week, went from full to limited, and then he was ruled out relatively quickly heading into Sunday's game. Uh, Frank Reich says they'll have to reevaluate and see where it goes from here. I don't think there's any chance he suits up on Sunday, and if not, uh, when do you see him getting back under center or under line in linebacker position? I, I think that, that maybe there's a chance for him this week. I mean, we, we don't know until they start actually, you know, going on Wednesday usually. You know, that's that's kind of the thing with, with asking questions about uh, players who have been injured for a while on Monday when we first talked to Reich is there's not a lot of information to give us because they have to they have to practice. And Mondays is a, Mondays is a walkthrough as they're kind of going through the mistakes of the game and trying to let the players' bodies recover. So, it's he doesn't have a lot of information where like he didn't the 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 thing with the last week with him being full and then limited had more to do with what the Colts were doing in practice uh than it did with his condition uh it wasn't like the trainers pulled back on him after Wednesday I I don't know if that'll be the case this week uh where it's, it's hard to read because the the practice is a little bit different but I think there's a chance this week for Leonard uh the fact that he's been out there for two weeks now probably helps um, but it, it's been a hard situation to read just because I don't, I don't feel like we've necess- like we necessarily know from, e- from either party, from, from Leonard or from uh, the Colts, exactly what they're thinking. You know, Joel, are we giving a free pass here to Matt Ryan? Because 
for the better part of that game in Houston, I think Matt Ryan, you know, the 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 fumbles, I maybe he was expecting better protection, I don't know, but um sometimes I think guys live off their reputation. Again, one game not a season make, but were we too soft on Matt Ryan? I I thought his game was kind of in the middle. I, yeah, I, I, I mean, look, you got to give him credit because the comeback on Jonathan Taylor is a big part of that, obviously. But, um, you know, obviously he put them back in position to be within position, right? But, man, the yeah, first and, the first half of that game was rough. And, and if you – the other thing is, like, I thought that the best play he maybe made in the whole game was ruined by Alec Pierce. Uh, he kind of bought time, moved around a little bit, gave time for stuff to get open, and then puts a perfect ball on him, and it gets dropped. I mean, it's, it's that's not a Ryan, that's not a Ryan problem. He he did everything he had to to get the touchdown. Pierce drops it. Same thing with the Doolin play. You know, that's that's a good throw. It's a good throw high. It's above everybody else. Receivers should come down with that. So there's there's some of that in there too when you're looking at his game where there's plays that didn't get made, but it's not his fault they didn't get made. On the flip side. Um, you know, uh, the the fumbled snaps is weird. That's just something that can't happen. You don't see fumbled snaps happen a bunch in NFL games. Uh, and, and and you know they, they they only scored three points through three and a half quarters. So it wasn't like he was tearing it up. Given the the yard, I mean they they had the yardage, uh, but in terms of points, which is what matters. So I was I was kind of in the middle. It was a it was a middle game for me. Uh, I do think, though, the the one thing that I took away from it was, you know, he's he's known as somebody who can get back into games, and and I don't know. I think I think that he the stuff we got from the locker room afterwards was part of the reason that they got back into that game, a game that they absolutely deserved to lose based on the way they played early, was because of Ryan's steady hand. So there, there's like I said, the middle for me. There's, there's a lot on both sides. Yeah, I think 95% of the – you play 95% of the rest of the league and you don't win that game on Sunday. You're were lucky to be playing the Texans. Uh, Joel A. Erickson joining us on the Payless Liquors Hotline. It's Kevin Inquiry on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Joel, what are your thoughts on Frank Reich saying they'll continue to rotate Matt Pryor and Bernard Ryman at left tackle? Is that a recipe for success or could that be detrimental in the long run? I, I'm a little confused by it. Uh, you don't usually do that in the NFL. Um you don't usually do that with offensive linemen. I was also a little bit confused by just like the the, the cameo like nature of it. Um, you get twelve snaps out of ninety two at left tackle, so you're, you know, somewhere a little north of ten percent. Like very very brief, um, very brief. I I don't know. I, it's a little confusing to me. I'm, I'm not used to seeing it. I understand that the, I, you know, I understand that they want to develop Raymond and make him Raymond and make him into the left tackle of the future. Totally get that. Uh, I just I'm just not used to seeing it from anybody in the league where they, they rotate. And and last year when they were rotating Reed and Glowinski, that didn't really turn out to that didn't really work out that well either. They ended up just going back to Glowinski after a little while. You know, I actually thought. You tell me if you agree. I. Does it mean that you're ready to just plug and play right now and ride it out for his career and turn that page? I don't know, but I thought Ryman did okay, right? Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I didn't. When he was in, I didn't have any. Um, I don't remember it. You know, right? That's writing his name down, or which is about the best thing much. for a rookie lineman, right? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yep. 
you know, the play calling, Joel Erickson of the Indianapolis Stars, our guest on the Payless Liquors guest line. Bottom line, Joel, you get inside the five-yard line in the red zone. You got fourth and goals. You got a guy you're paying $20 million to on the at guard and the league's leading rusher behind him. Why would you not just hand it off to Jonathan Taylor and go right behind him? Are, are we getting too cute and too creative? Not not we. Well, I'm saying the, the Colts in general. Are they getting too cute, too cute, too creative? So, so here's here's the hard part for me with with this is I don't have enough information. I don't have I don't have all the information that they do, and none of, like none of us do. It's, it'd be really hard to go back and figure out how many times they've run a zone read. Uh, you'd have to basically watch all of the games from the last four years. Uh, how many times they've run a zone read, when they've run it, uh, to find out. You know, Frank said that they've been very successful on that. Um, I don't have the data in front of me to, to back that up. I don't know exactly. Um, and I also don't know how the Texans have played against the zone read in the past, if they've had trouble with it. In terms of it being cute, like I get it, it's a wildcat, there's no – Matt Ryan's not taking the snap, whatever. But it's a zone read is actually a very simple run play, and the way the blocking goes, Quentin Nelson is, is would have been the guy leading Hines. Uh, now, normally you would want Taylor going up the middle and Hines going outside, but a lot of it depends on the ball handling of you know can Taylor handle what's a fairly complex um, ball handling type of thing. So. I don't know. There's there's factors in there that I don't know with the zone read that I get the idea that it's cute, but it's also sort – to me, a zone read is a very basic run play in, in my head. So that's the hard part for me is it's cute because you can use the word cute and Hines is the Hines is the tailback, but the actual play itself is like – I mean, there's entire college offenses that it's their base play. It's the, the most basic play they have is a zone read because it's power up the middle and it gives you the option to go around the outside. He is Joel A. Erickson of the Indianapolis Star. You can find him at, at Joel A. Erickson on Twitter. Joel, we appreciate the time as we turn the page to Jacksonville and see what the Colts do on Sunday. Thank you for the time. Yeah, thanks for having me on, guys. Joel A. Erickson there. For his latest, check out the Indy Star. You know, people got fired up over the blanket ship discussion, right? Yeah, it's a hot topic. Hot rod is a hot topic. Red zone, I'm telling you, like, it just seemed to me, and I get it, sometimes I think guys in sports, there are certain things that ruin is the wrong word, but Tom Crean with Indiana basketball. I always felt like one of the worst things to happen for Tom Crean was one of the best things to happen to Tom Crean, and that was when he took Marquette to the Final Four because Dwayne Wade became unstoppable. And then Tom Crean fancied himself as a recruiter that could discover the Dwayne Wade in anybody. And lightning struck twice when he got Victor Oladipo, who was – and credit to Tom Crean. Tom Crean can develop some guys. Don't get me wrong. And Victor Oladipo blossomed under Tom Crean as well. But then I – it seemed to me like Tom Crean began to fancy himself as a recruiting diamond in the rough guru that could discover guys that were 
dispatched elsewhere or overlooked elsewhere. And then they ended up with players that, quite frankly, were not Big Ten caliber players and an inconsistency for Indiana that ultimately led to the demise of Tom Crean. Frank Reich, when Carson Wentz went down and Nick Foles took over and the Eagles made their Super Bowl run, Frank Reich was a very creative play caller. And he was able to pull strings and find a confidence within Nick Foles that lifted Philadelphia to the promised land. And while that was great for Frank Reich, I also wonder if at times that's not his Dwayne Wade, Victor Oladipo, because then he fancies himself as too creative. He's the guy that out that, that can outthink everybody. The quarterback whisperer, as they call him. Correct. So you get down to fourth and goal, and you're going to, instead of going to your bread and butter, you're going to outthink it, and you're going to direct snap in the wildcat to Naeem Hines. And what did I say about Naeem Hines? The one thing about him is if the only time he's on the field is when it's he's on the field to get in the ball, then it's pretty obvious when he's on the field what the play's going to be, right? But sometimes you don't need to outthink it. Jonathan Taylor, you look late in the in, when the Colts needed it. Taylor left side for 14 yards. Taylor up the middle for seven yards. I mean, the guy was averaging at one point in, in a quarter like seven yards a carry. You would think when you have an elite level left tackle or, excuse me, left guard that you just paid is the highest paid in the history of the league at his position and Jonathan Taylor behind him, that it's go time, right? And you would think that right then the formula would be simple. John's been waiting patiently. What's up, John? Good morning to you. John, you there? Oh, man. My bad, John. All right. John waited too long, right? Well, he's Jake Query. I'm Mark Dykton. I've got a question I want to pose to Jake that we'll talk about on the other side of the break. Is Frank Reich's aggressiveness detrimental to Rodrigo Blankenship? We'll explain next. It's Kevin and Query, 93.5-1075, The Fan. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. Final hour of the program. Sorry, Mark. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, Jake Query here along with Mark Dykton on Kevin and Query. Sam Fritz running the big board for us. Mark, you had mentioned that, and I thought you had a good question regarding Frank Reich and kind of the, it feels like, look, it's one game, right? Mm -hmm. And, And I said yesterday, it's always overreaction Monday. But it does, does it not feel like the Colts have some kind of bubbling you know, bibbling bubble, boiling trouble, right? Like the Colts have some some things that are just kind of rearing their ugly head in, in a couple of different areas. Yeah. So my question to you is, could Frank Reich's aggressiveness be detrimental to Rodrigo Blankenship? I'll set you an example. First and nine, or first and goal at the Texans nine on Sunday. You walked away with zero points because you got super aggressive. They had you opted, opted to go to Blankenship. Not only do you give him a chip shot field goal, you take the lead, and you also maybe take give him a confidence boost going forward in the game, and instead you went for it. You didn't end up with any points, and then the game ends up coming down to Blankenship's leg on a 42-yarder, and he buckled. So could Frank Reich 
could Frank Reich be helping Blankenship by giving them those chip shots, giving them that confidence boost, a little, little help, and then you know going forward, maybe he's like, I can make this 42-yarder. I'm two for two or whatever he would be at that point. But instead, you're taking the game out of his leg and you're putting it into Jonathan Taylor's hands or whatever that wildcat formation was, and you're opting for that instead of surefire points, and then you're putting more pressure on Blankenship to hit these game winners or late in the game try to take the lead. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like I've said. We were I was at a golf outing for Bailey and Wood down in Greenwood about a month ago, and Jeff Saturday was there. And everybody's getting ready to go out and golf, and a guy yells at me and goes, hey, Query, like, just always make sure you get to the free throw line during horse, which is kind of a euphemism for life, right? Like, when it comes down to it, when things aren't going well, you go back to doing what you do do well to recapture the basics. And when you're playing horse, I've always said, you try to knock down a few outside jumpers to to rattle the guy you're playing against or gal. And if, if your shot's not falling, just go to the free throw line and, and get yourself a few free throws to get your rhythm again. And that's kind of what you're talking about there, right? Mm-hmm. Like, let Hot Rod just get his rhythm again. But, Mark, I mean it again. I know he's a nice guy. I know he's a likable personality. Is he, a, is any, you know, is Rodrigo Blankenship an NFL kicker? I, I mean, don't know. you know, he – you've got to be able to – to me – and look, I know it. I know it's one of the hardest – honestly, it's one of the more underappreciated jobs in sports being a kicker. But for me, I've – when I worked in television, let me tell you what I loved. And when I work in radio, what I love – I love when all hell breaks loose. When I worked in TV, I absolutely got an adrenaline rush, and I loved going out and doing a live shot or anchoring a a, a sportscast. It's routine, right? Mm-hmm. What I loved is when you were doing a live shot and you lost your IFB, you had no communication back with the booth or – the computer where they had to roll tape was frozen and they couldn't get anything going and you knew people in the booth were freaking out and all hell was breaking loose and the microphone and the camera are on you and you know that in that moment everything is reliant upon you not letting the listener or the viewer know that all hell's breaking loose. And I loved that because, and I'm not saying that I did it flawlessly every time, but I loved it because, to me, that's when you earn your money. When, when you're calling the Indianapolis 500, and it's lap 82, and it's just routine, and a guy's got a four-second lead, and they're coming past you, okay, great. But there's two and a half laps left to go in the race, and they're side-by-side, side and somebody darts out of line in a traffic of 20 cars coming at you up the straight from five-eighths of my way. I'm not saying I've hit it every time, but that's when you earn your money, when all hell's breaking loose. And in any line of work, I think people thrive off that. As a kicker, You, to me, where a kicker earns his money is when the game is on the line, the clock is running out, your quarterback's limping up to the line, it's a rainstorm, 
you're down two and you know, everybody in the building knows that you're going to have to get a field goal to win it and they're trying their best to get you within as close a range as possible but they know all they've got to do is get it down to like the 37 yard line to give themselves a shot with a 54 yarder that's where is the kicker you earn your money and i want a guy on my sideline that that i know is thriving on that and at least feels like he's got a shot to get his money in that 54-yarder. Say what you want about Vanderjat, and I know he missed the biggest kick probably in his career here, but that dude was not afraid of it. And he went out there in Denver in the snow and hit a 50-yarder to force overtime and a 56 or something to win it. I mean, when it came down to it, that guy, that you want a guy that at least puts you in, that you know you can, you're always in range. Well, that's why I, kn- I had zero issue with the Ravens paying Justin Tucker because correct, he earned every cent he's getting. He's reliable. He can hit from deep. That is one cause of no cause of concern for the Ravens is when you try Justin Tucker out there, 99 times out of 100, it's going to be good. And usually it's 100 times out of 100 because he's that good. So if you have that reliability at kicker, that's something the Colts fans have longed for since Adam Vinatieri left. And right, you know, I mean, what's more maddening for Colts fans, the kicking position or the quarterback position the last few years? Probably the quarterback position because the quarterback carries the quarterback influences every play of the game. That's why the quarterback these kicks keep coming down to games being won or lost and everything. It's just like, can we get some consistency here? But it's the same two different positions, but the same issue. There's no consistency. Fair. I, I just. To me, like, you want – I think Rodrigo Blankenship is a nice guy and a fun story and everything else. I don't think he is, at this point, showing to be a reliable, consistent NFL-level kicker. And again, I'm going to go back to what I talked about earlier. And, yeah, I will never, ever, ever walk away from or bypass an opportunity to pat myself on the back. And I meant it – I. However, disingenuous to say that this is exactly why I meant it. But when we did our list of 10 most indispensable Colts, and at number 10, and I prefaced it by saying, look, I'm not legitimately saying that this guy is one of the 10 most indispensable players, but it is rare that we get an opportunity to give an attaboy to Rigoberto Sanchez. And at the time I said, and by definition, he is indispensable because he's the only guy on the roster that does what he does. Now, granted, and and Kevin pointed out, well, last year he missed a couple games, and what happened? You know, they were fine. Fair. But now that he's not there, what does he do besides punting? Kickoffs. What else? Holding. What are two areas? If Rodrigo Blankenship, with his missed field goals, if those are not entirely on Rodrigo Blankenship, who's it on? I know. The holder? Yep. And the kickoffs. If Rodrigo Blankenship is missing field goals because it's mental for him because of the fact that he just butched not one but two or botched not one but two kickoffs. That's an area also that Rigoberto Sanchez did. Guess what? Turns out pretty indispensable, right? Culture call the Kansas City Chiefs try to get Justin Reed. Did you see that over the weekend? How Harrison Butker went out and then they had Justin Reed, who was a former high school kicker. He drilled it and then he kicked off and he kicked it in through the uprights. That's pretty see that? awesome. Patrick Mahomes was beside himself. Have on the I ever sideline. told you this? I have a theory here. If I was in charge of the NFL, and I, I've mentioned this before, but I'm going to mention it again. 
What? How wide are the uprights? How wide? Mm-hmm. What's oh, the width? I don't know off the top of my head. It's got to be what? 60 feet? 90 feet? 18 feet, 6 inches. It's only 18 feet? Okay. The uprights? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's only 18 feet across? Width-wise, yes. It seems way bigger than that. Yeah. Anyway, 18 feet. Okay. So you got to kick a ball between an area that's 18 feet wide, right? You hit the uprights and it bounces off and it doesn't go in between the middle. It's no good. You, you lose your three points. Do you know how hard it is to hit the upright? Oh, Cody Parkey excelled at it. I, if you call your shot, it should be five points. You hit the upright, five points. You hit the upright, tw- you hit the upright and bounce it off the crossbar, six. See, this is your MTV internship coming back because that's rock and jock rules right there. Remember the rock and jock games back in the day, the basketball games where you drill like, shoot it up Think sixty feet it. and it's hundred points. Think about it though. If it, uh, we'll go actually four points, four points if you hit a crossbar. Five if you hit the crossbar. I mean, I was sorry. The, four points if you hit the upright. Five if it then if you hit that and the crossbar. What do you think? How hard that is to do. So if you know, if you're down four, twenty-five. You know, two seconds to go in the game, and you're on the twenty-five yard line. You line the kicker up and you tell him, "Look, man, you got to hit the like hit hit the upright." How about ten? They know how hard that is to do. How about ten points if you hit in the second row? So for real. 15 if you bust someone's nose. Yeah, that's cool. But honestly, though, like, think about it. When when somebody hits the upright and everybody's like, oh, no. How often do you see it? How, how, many, how many football games have you watched in your life? Now, you're a Bears fan, so you've seen the upright get hit more than most. But, yes. But honestly, over the course of a year, how many times does a kicker hit the uprights? I mean, you probably see it a handful of times a season. A handful of times, there's right? No, there's no. But he's hitting a field goal like 30 times a year. There's no better sound, too, especially if you're the, the team that – the field goal gets it is crazy. Gong, right. The echo throughout the stadium. Not too bad. Kurt has been hanging in for a long time. Kurt wants to talk kickers. Good morning, Kurt. What's up? Good morning from Arkansas, guys. How are you doing? Kurt, you've been on hold for an hour. Now what the hell is going on in Arkansas that allows you an hour to wait on hold on a radio show in Indianapolis? Apparently which we appreciate. <laughs> well, are you hey, working today, that. Kurt? I am. I was driving into work, and then when I got here... Well, where do you live? In Missouri? (laughs) No. You're driving an hour to work every day? There can't be traffic in Arkansas. Not too too much, no. (laughs) All right, what's going on? So, you know, I was thinking about this kicker thing, and, you know, back when the draft happened, I'm not going to say, you know, Monday morning quarterbacking is easy, right? But I do remember looking at who's available out there because I was concerned about kickers. And, you know, only one kicker was drafted this year, and it was Cade York, I think, for the Cleveland Browns from LSU. 124th pick, you know, fourth round. But I went and looked at all the team's rosters, and no one – there are no other rookie kickers this year. There are only, like, I think two that were second-year players. So, I mean, these positions don't turn very often, right? So, I know you said there's not many people out there. But, man, you know, we we always throw away some of these – picks on like maybe the Cincinnati defensive end or you know, a couple guys that don't make it fifth or sixth round picks and it looks like about a third of the kickers in the league get picked in like the fifth sixth or seventh yeah round. so in other words if you draft if you burn your seventh or eighth round pick on a kicker you're getting an upper echelon player of the position whereas if you draft a seventh or eighth round defensive lineman you're getting like a a, a lower heap right Exactly. It's like maybe one or two kickers get drafted. Last year, I don't think any kickers got drafted. So it's like if you do spend one, if there's one worth grabbing, it's probably going to be a legit player, right? So 
just a thought there that, um, you know, these don't turn very often and uh, there's probably not many available out there, but if only the LSU kicker was gone, like who was the number two kicker in college? You know, was there anyone that was worth it that, uh, you know, it's not on our roster right now, but, you know, obviously we need to make a change. I mean, listen, I, and, and I appreciate it, Kurt. I, Evan McPherson for the Bengals was the lone kicker taken last year's draft, by the way. He was a fifth-round pick, and that seemed to turn out pretty well for them last season, brought him to the Super Bowl. Had, a rough, had a rough day on Sunday. I was going to say, didn't he miss? He did. Well, laces were in. Oh, that's that right. It was that damn Dan Marino's fault. <laughs> Dan Marino should rot in hell and die. Excuse me. That's from Ace Ventura. Do you know the question I asked Dan Marino once in an interview, and he laughed, and, and I was amazed by this. There's no greater compliment to a reporter or an interviewer than when you ask somebody a question and they say, you know, I've never been asked that before. To me, that's that or when they say, well, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. But when you say when you're interviewing somebody who's been interviewed a thousand billion times and they say to you, I've never been asked that before. You're like, really? Okay. So I asked Dan Marino once. This was after he had retired. He was in Indianapolis. I, I don't remember for what, the Spectrum Awards or something. And I was in, he was made available, and I was working in TV at the time, and I'm interviewing him. And we're talking about Peyton Manning, you know, and whatever else. It was when Manning was still here. And at the end of the interview, I say, hey, question for you. He says, okay. And I said, can you tell me why? Now, let me ask you this, Mark Dykton. You, you, this may be a little before, before your time, quote, unquote. Do you remember what product Dan Marino was most known for endorsing? Is it Isotoners from Correct. Ace Ventura? Correct. Yeah. So I say to him, he was like the face of Isotoner gloves. Mm -hmm. So I say to him, why in the world would a guy that lived in Miami need Isotoner gloves? In what in what situation living in Miami as the quarterback of the Dolphins did you ever need isotoner gloves? Now he's a native of Pittsburgh, granted, right, or Philadelphia or Pennsylvania, but he actually said, "You know, I've never been asked that before." And then laughed and goes, "That is a great question." And he said, "I can't believe the isotoner folks never thought of that." It's like the rice aroni folks. As right? long as the check clears, I'll endorse anything. Of course. Yeah, of hey, course. I don't care if I'm in Miami. You want me to wear a weather a winter jacket? I'll do it. Gore-Tex. It's Gore-Tex. But uh, but listen, Blankenship had always said that, or, or Blankenship, excuse me, after the game said, like, listen, everything was perfect. Hold was great. Laces were out. Okay. But uh, but there is. From a kicker standpoint, I think continuity goes a long way as well. Well, we we hinted at the uh, we Joel Erickson had some interesting quotes about Blankenship regarding the kick, and he said it didn't feel great coming off my foot. I just didn't make contact how I wanted to. I didn't really hit the ball square and had kind of a lazy follow through. Okay, he says obviously it's not ideal. Obviously you'd like to make that kick and win the game, but the tie is still better than a loss, I believe. I guess that's a silver lining that I'll take moving into the next week. So you you're you're saying you half-assed the follow-through, and then you're saying, well, a tie's better than a loss, which it is, but I wouldn't take that mentality into right. the Jaguars game on Sunday, for God's sake. Uh, hey, Jake, you always crack me up. I'm listening to your show. You thought the upright was like 60 to 90 feet across. Do the world a favor and please don't go into construction. No, nah, I'm telling you. My cousin owns a construction company. That's good enough, right? I'm, I mean, I am clueless on that stuff. Zero question about it. Blaze, what's up? 
Hey, good morning, guys. So, Blaze, yeah. you got a great voice. Have you been told you have a great voice? Do you voiceover work? You know what? I knew you guys were going to say that, actually. So, yeah, I do have a great voice. I hear it. I quite often, to be honest. <laughs> now, where are you right now, Blaze? It sounds like you're – are you, like, in an elevator? Um, I'm actually at a school. Yeah. You're at a school? Yes. Are you a teacher? Yeah, substitute. Yeah. Okay, what school are you in today? Can we say? Uh, no, I'd rather not say. What subject? How's that? What subject? I'm a building sub, so I'm all all subjects. Well, that's I mean, what what subject today? Um, nothing today. It's a class, sir. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Nothing, nothing, yeah, nothing today. Well, what's the noise in the background? Like, are you building stuff? What the hell's going on in the background? Um, student check in. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, so, what's on your mind? Uh, yes. Uh, just want to call about uh, Frank Wright and Rodrigo relationship and the the correlation between those two uh, <laughs> two gentlemen. Um, with Frank Wright in his fourth fourth down play calls um, and his aggressiveness, which has cost the Colts many games, at least four over his tenure on the road, going back to 2018 in Jacksonville going into playoff game with the Bills, and there's maybe other games that, hey, you know what? If we just took the points, hey, we would have got this win. But going with what Mark was saying, hey, will Frank Wright keep going for it on fourth downs? Is he – is it detrimental to the confidence of Rodrigo Blankenship? And what Rodrigo Blankenship really needs, right, guys, would be experience. He's a young kicker. He needs these tries. He needs these attempts. Let's get him these attempts because we know that he's still going to be the kicker come Sunday. I would cut him because you just want your kicker to make from 50 out. I mean, that's the thing, Blaze. Don't you agree? Like, to me, a kicker is defined by – a kicker to me is defined by what he can do from, like, 45 outward, right? I mean, I'm assuming if you are a kicker in the National Football League, you can kick some extra points and you can kick the occasional 35-yard field goal. What I need is a guy that is reliable – and and that I can count on from forty five out. And I'm sorry if you've got if you've got a kicker that is feast or famine from forty five out, you don't have a kicker. Right. Right. Yeah. I mean, we even talked about in the preseason, like instead of going for it on these fourth downs or whatever, like preseason games don't count. So give Rodrigo Blankenship some times to line up to fifty yarders or more than fifty yarders, and just see what you got. They're not, they're not going to hurt you. Wins and losses in the preseason don't matter, and they didn't take those opportunities. They instead were still being aggressive, opening the playbook, like going for it on fourth downs, and I just I didn't agree with it. Then I don't agree with it now because I think it's hurt you in the past, and now you still don't know if Blankenship is even competent 45 yards and plus. So, I mean, yeah, I don't think they have a kicker. I, I, I don't understand those quotes that he made after the Texans game. I mean, again – you're admitting that you didn't put your heart and soul into that kick on the follow-through, and then you're saying, well, I'll take that mentality going forward. I That's not a mentality I really want coming from a kicker who missed a game-winning field goal at 45 yards. So I I don't know. I, they've got a lot of questions that they need to clean up. Steve wants to talk Rodrigo Blankenship. Steve, good morning. How you doing? Steve, you there? Steve, you there? Yes, sir. Can you hear me? Yes, yeah, we what's got up? you. What's up? Hey, um, I either I haven't been paying attention or I 
just didn't know. Uh, where's Badgley at these days? That's a really good question, actually. I think he is still a free agent. Is he not marketed to somebody sign him? He was one of the free agents I because saw. Because, Steve, was still to your point, even if Badgley's not there, Steve, wouldn't, and I think this is probably the point you're rhetorically making, Badgley is at least representative of the fact that there are guys out there that can be obtained, right? Right. Yeah. And I mean, uh, I'm not saying to replace him, but I mean, could he be so expensive that we couldn't put him on the roster for short term or? By the way, Steve, you sound like a nice fella. Uh, can we play get to know your listener with you real quick? We've had a lot of success with this. People enjoy it thoroughly. Can we, are you ready to play a round of it real quick? Go for it, okay. man. Steve, are you in the car currently? Yes. Okay. 10 and two, please. If you could, uh, where are you driving currently? 65 North, uh, approaching uh, uh, Rensselaer. Oh, wow. Hoping so you, you on iHeart. Got us on the app then. Okay, we appreciate that. Yes, Rensselaer, by the way, also known as the only McDonald's stop between here and Chicago or I believe the home of Saint, the former St. Joe's College. Um, how's traffic on 65? Everything going okay? Yeah, actually, you're wrong. There's a uh, 65 at the uh, Remington exit. What's that? There's a McDonald's at the Remington exit. Oh, gotcha. That's true. Okay. I've been to that one. Now, um, is there any construction going on 65? I, I feel like there's no <laughs> yeah. construction going on. Uh, up uh, up north of the uh, the big dairy farm, there's a lot of construction. Oh, Fair Oaks now, Farms. Steve, you're yeah, going Fair where Oaks. on 65 today? Your ultimate destination is where? I'm going downtown Chicago. Oh, really? For what? Uh, what brings you to downtown for, Chicago? For a, for a meeting. Just for the day. Uh, yeah, just for the day. Are you going to be uh, able to get in one of the little cubes in the Willis Tower that everybody actually still calls the Sears Tower? No, I've did that, and uh, I have no no desire to do it again. Did you bring a kayak? I feel like you're going to need that to get through the Chicago <laughs> streets because I don't think it's cleared no, up from Sunday. I've uh, I've did the Chicago architectural cruises on the Chicago River. I've did about everything. So do, do uh, you can do you consider Garrett's? I think it's called Garrett's. Their popcorn to be better than. Um, just pop in in Indianapolis. I think just pop in is superior. Your thoughts? Yeah, yeah. Garrett's is overpriced. Uh, they're kind of like they're living on their name. Oh, uh, yeah. Good. But, uh, <laughs> Garrett's is overrated. They, there's places downtown you're going to need a driver and have somebody jump out to get the popcorn and then get back in the car. Yeah. There's, But, uh, no, it's, it's really expensive now. I haven't bought any in a long time, but. All right, Steve, yeah, last question for you. If if at your meeting, if they said, hey, businessman special, we're taking in a baseball game, would you rather go see the White Sox or the Cubs? Oh, I'm White Sox all the way. Oh, I like that, man. Steve, I like that. You call any time. I'm, like, I'm not some huge, by any chance, uh, White Sox fan, but we did go. Did he get to ask his question or did you just year? hang up on him? No, nah, he made his point. Wasn't he the one that asked about Badgley? <laughs> I guess so. Yeah, I know um, he had something else. We went to a White Sox game last year. There was a an afternoon day, afternoon game, and we just drove up for the day, went to the game, drove back, and had a great time. It's a good, good ballpark. Park. It is very good, good park. food too. Haven't been in a few years. Well, uh, how do you know how good the food is? I'm saying I they might the have changed I, the menu. Well, they might have. It probably has gotten better, but it was good when I was there last. Let's take Jeff real quick before morning check down. Jeff, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys? Doing well. How about yourself? Hey, fine. Uh, I just can't take Blankenship anymore. I mean, I, you know, he's cost us games, and uh, the bottom line is, of all the major universities, small colleges, soccer players, all the kickers in this country, and maybe across the world, 
we can't find somebody more consistent with and and the guy upper body the guy looks like uh, Tiny Tim. I mean, <laughs> now, now, Tim. now wait a minute. Now hold on. Are you meaning Tiny Tim from the from the play, or are you meaning Tiny Tim that sang uh, "Tiptoe Through the Tulips" and got married yeah, on the Johnny Carson show? The tulips. Yeah. Tiptoe yeah. oh. through the See, tulips. See, I'm thinking of a Christmas Carol. <laughs> well, there's him and, too. Yeah, and then uh, those goopy glasses. I don't know. Maybe the guy's got a vision problem. <laughs> I mean, Listen, I'll tell you, they, they, Blop when he played for IU. Until he graduated, they didn't find out that he had vision problems. We were just talking about that. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that. I was just literally mentioning the other day that Uwe Blop, unfortunately, became, became known, Jeff. I appreciate it. Like the, okay. He was almost like the euphemism of bad hands, right? Like, hey, good hands, Uwe. In 1983, that was the running joke in the state of Indiana. Like, nice hands, Uwe. And then he goes to the Mavericks, and they find out, like, oh, wait a minute. Like, he needs glasses. And that's why he couldn't catch the ball. Now, I'm, like, thinking, now I'm thinking about his Muppets Christmas Carol. That's a good movie. You ever watch that one? The Muppets Christmas Carol? Yeah. No, the but Muppets it, doing a Christmas Carol. It's got uh, Michael Caine. I do, have a, I do have a Muppet Ebenezer question Scrooge. for you. I have a Muppet question for you that I'm going to use to test your intellect, Mark. But first, got to get to a morning check down. The morning check down. Brought to you by Ball State Football. Get your tickets at BallStateSports.com. Omaha! On 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. It was Omaha Productions last night that allowed you to see Peyton Manning and Eli Manning wincing over every errant play for the Denver Broncos, at least in Peyton's case. Seahawks winning last night 17-16 and Russell Wilson's return to Seattle, which, by the way, Seattle is spectacular if you've never been there. Geno Smith looked pretty good. 23 of 28, I thought uh, Mark looked pretty good. It was Two an touchdowns impressive off. showing because yeah. I thought the Seahawks were going to be awful, and they, they impressed last night. Their fan base came out, and, uh, yeah, they looked good. Geno Smith looked comparable, and uh, Will Disley, the tight end, looked good too. So solid effort by Seattle. I don't know if it will maintain, but a solid week one win over the Denver Broncos. <laughs> Week two kicks off Thursday night. Chargers at Chiefs. That is an Amazon Prime game. Uh, Major League Baseball yesterday. It was the Pirates over the Reds 6-3. Cubs over the Mets 5-2. Dodgers a winner. Also winners yesterday. The Giants, Guardians, Astros, and the Toronto Blue Jays. Albert Pujols Cardinals were idle, so he still sits at 697. Couple names out there that the Colts could pursue on the kicking front. Michael Badgley was a name that came up. Couple other former Colts on the free agent wire as well. Elliot Fry and Jake Verity. So we'll see. Joel Erickson said he wouldn't be surprised if a couple kickers came in this week. We'll keep our ears to the ground and see if uh, any competition for Blankenship is on the forefront there. I thought I read that they were going to bring in already a few. Okay. Well, maybe we got something. I mean, I, there. No, no, no. I'm not. I'm. Well, I may have misread that. It? Yeah, I'm not reporting that. I just wouldn't surprise anybody, would it, if they decide to to bring in somebody? Wouldn't surprise me at all. If you're listening now and you want to play the pop quiz, that is up next. Two three nine ten seventy. Not only if you go five for five, do you get a Jiffy Lube prize pack, but just for playing, you'll get a four pack of tickets to the Speedrome. So give us a call, 239-1070. Pop quiz is next. You're listening to Kevin and Query, 93.5 and 107.5, The Fan. I think pretty manageable here, Mark. Yeah, I don't see anything too out of the – too impossible here. Yeah, this seems mm, – question five might, might be a little tough. But regardless, 
However, if you go five for five, you go, you'll get a Jiffy Lube prize pack. Even just for playing, you get four tickets to the Speedrome, which, Jake, you're very familiar with. So that means it's pop quiz time, 239-1070. Jake, pick a number, one through eight. Uh, we will go with, what was Gino? What is Geno Smith's jersey number? Seven. Yeah, seven. Uh, did you say one through eight? I'll go with number seven. Oh, well, there you go. Who do we have on, on line seven? That is Dave. Dave, good morning to you. How you doing? I'm fine. Thanks. How are you guys? Doing all right. Dave, do you have a, a small child in the background, Dave? Uh, no, I do not. I thought I heard. Do you have an animal in the background? Are you at a farm? Uh, no, I'm in a parking lot, actually. Okay. Do you have weird people around you in the parking lot? There is nobody close to me. <laughs> well, I'm very concerned. This parking lot is where, Dave? I am on the east side at Meyer, actually. Now, I got news for you, Dave. Uh, I'm not by any stretch of the imagination trying to be a confrontational individual this morning, but uh, I find it hard to believe that you would be at a mire on the east side and not within vicinity of some weird people, right? Uh, that's why I go in the morning. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Nothing wrong with that. All right, Dave, uh, would you like for me, that would be, you sound like a nice guy, Dave, real quick. Uh, are you a native of Indianapolis? Yes, I am. And that would be what high school, if you don't mind me asking? Warren Central. Warren, okay. Uh, and that would be what year? I'm really old. I graduated in 1968. Okay, that's cool. Did you know, uh, Dave, are you familiar with a band called The Elect here in Indianapolis, a local music band called The Elect? I am not. All guys from Warren Central. Uh, Michael really? Weir, the lead singer. Um, Jimmy is their percussionist. Let me tell you something. They're fabulous. If you ever have a chance... If there's a Warren Central shindig or if you're in the Ratskeller in the summertime and you see that the elect is playing, do yourself a favor and you will enjoy the finest product of Warren Central since Jeff George's days. I promise you that. Absolutely fabulous. Wow. That, that's good. Good. I, I called in once before and talked to you, and then I actually am a, a, a patient of one of the doctors that you see, Dr. Motman. Oh, are you, so, are you a Motman guy? I am. Yeah. Um, he's the best, isn't he? Yes, I've only seen him one time, but, yeah, he's a great guy. And well, let me I, tell you I, something. He's a cardiologist, so, you know, if you saw him one time, that means that he did it right. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. All I right, Dave. So. Um, and matter of fact, I believe I met you at Road America one year. Is that right? No. Okay, well, Motman's got patients all over the place then. That was awkward. Okay, Dave, here we go. Uh, would you like for me, that would be Jake, or for Mark to lead you off? You can lead me off, Jake, if you don't mind. Okay, oh, I will be happy to do that. Um, your heart's doing okay now, right, Dave? Uh, yeah. Okay, good. Here we go. Question number one. The Broncos lost in Seattle last night to move their Monday night football losing streak to six in a row. One other team currently owns a six-game losing streak on Monday night football. And one of their former quarterbacks was on the uh, alternate broadcast last night. Would it be the Colts, Giants, Cowboys, or Titans? I did not watch the alternate one. Well, the alternate uh, it has two brothers. They're quarterbacks. They both played in the NFL. They do a they do. Uh, yeah, yeah. I know. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'll, I'll go with the Colts. Okay. Oh boy. All right. Seahawks quarterback Geno Smith started last night's win over Denver by completing his first 13 passes since 1990. Only two other quarterbacks have completed their first 13 passes in a Week One game. One is Hall of Famer Jim Kelly. Name the former Jacksonville Jaguars QB who is the other. A, Gardner Minshew. B, Mark Brunel. C, David Garrard. Or D, Nick Foles. This guy looks like he might have been in Napoleon Dynamite. Minshew. Okay. 
Uh, question three. Dave, I'm curious, by the way, were you tempted at all in your freshman year of college or what would have been your first year out of high school to go to Woodstock? No, I was not. Did, was it a big deal back then? Do you remember it? Oh, yeah. It was It was a big deal. Yeah. I, I really didn't know too much about it until it was, like, taking place. Right. I can... I've always wondered that, like how big it was in the moment versus retroactively. All right, question number three. Russell Wilson is just the sixth quarterback since the 1970 merger to start a season opener against the team that he had played for in the previous season. Those quarterbacks, after Wilson's loss last night, are now one and five. Which quarterback is the one that actually won against his previous team in the season opener? Was it Chad Pennington, Kurt Warner, Sam Darnold, or Josh McCown? Wow, these are tough. I'll Look tell you, on. this guy played collegiately at oh, USC. Oh, Darnold, then, I guess. Okay. All right, Mike Trout homered in the Angels' loss in Cleveland last night. Trout has homered in seven straight games, one short of the major league record, which is held by three players. Which of the following did not, did not homer in eight straight games? Ken Griffey Jr., Dale Long, Don Mattingly, or Barry Bonds? Mattingly? Okay. okay. And the last question for you. On this day in 1983, Dave, you'd have been about, oh, 32 years old or so, 33, something like that, um, in 1983. On this day in 1983, Ricky Henderson of the Oakland Athletics stole his 100th base, base of the season, the third straight season in which he had 100 steals. Only one guy in Major League Baseball has had a 100 stolen base season since then. His last name is that of a cooler company, and he once got trapped in a tarp injuring himself during the World Series. Can you name this player that played for the St. Louis Cardinals? Uh, His initials were the key enemy of a huge war during your senior year of high school. His first name is Vince. Yeah, Vince, uh, Vince Coleman. Okay. All right, here we go. Let's check the answers for Dave, the pride of Warren Central. Um, oh, yeah. Did you did you go with Gardner Minshew? You did, right? Let's start with Gardner yeah. Minshew in question two. He went with two. Sam yep. Darnold. That mm-hmm. was also correct. Uh, went with Mattingly. That actually – and Vince Coleman was correct. Barry Bonds and the New York Giants, the two that you missed, Dave. Barry Bonds and the Giants. But stick on the line. Still have a prize pack, right, Mark? Yes, you get four tickets to the Speedrome, so Sam will take your information right there. By the way, I'm looking this up during that last question with uh, Ricky Henderson having 100 stolen bases. Do you know how many stolen bases the leader of the MLB has this season? 54. (sighs) Way lower. 31. A little higher. John Birdie of the Miami Marlins leads the majors with 34 stolen bases. Are you serious? That's all it is this year. That's unbelievable. So you know what's interesting about that? Vince Coleman, a Cardinal, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, he also a birdie. Okay. <laughs> we come back. That was the perfect segue to throw a break. I had a Muppet question for Mark. We'll get to that. And we had an interesting anecdote about the Colts as well that we'll get to. We come back to Kevin and Query. You're listening to Kevin and Query on 93.5 and 107.5. The Fan. Now, we had a pretty interesting Colts question I'm going to get to, Mark, but because you mentioned earlier, and because we're in the last 10 minutes here, and thank you to those who've been listening this morning on a Tuesday, Jake Quarry along with Mark Dykton. Um, 
You mentioned the Muppets. Uh-huh. Now, which Muppet movie did you say that you liked? Muppet Christmas Carol. That was one I watched a lot in my childhood. I okay. think my parents still have the VHS of it, but we used to watch the hell out of that come the holiday season. So I saw the Muppet movie in the theater. The newer um, one or the original? The original. Okay. When I was a kid. I mean, the Muppet movie and then the great Muppet caper and the Muppets take Manhattan. Mm-hmm. Excuse me, take Manhattan. I loved all of them. But I have a question that I ask people regarding the Muppets, and I, I'm very judgmental in how they answer. Okay. Okay. Would you agree that Kermit is the lead Muppet? Yes. He's the president of the Muppets, correct? Mm-hmm. He'd intro the Muppet show and everything correct. like that. Correct. Yeah. He's, the, he's the guy. Mm-hmm. And Rainbow Connection. Yeah. Which is wonderful, by the way. He plays a banjo like no yep. other. Now, I, I realized that they never married, but for the sake of this discussion and or question, I'm going to say that Miss Piggy, by default, then, is the first lady of the Muppets, right? Agreed, yes. So if something had happened to Kermit, and I'm not going to go so far as to say that he's, you know, eliminated altogether, but let's say that he just gets tired of it all and wants to go live you know, on a lily pad somewhere, and he just Piggy, walks. I've had it. I'm leaving. <laughs> exactly, right? So the two of them depart. Take this job and stick it. So who becomes, then, the president of the Muppets? Who is the vice president of the Muppets? Now, I need you to think about this answer for a second before give because I'm going to judge you on your answer. Okay. To me, it is an indisputable, and I know this is a, a ridiculous thing for me to say, because perhaps I don't exhibit it enough on the radio. I'm being sarcastic. But I have a very one of my one of my very few weaknesses is that I have a weakness in when I'm when my mind is set on something, I can't grasp that other people can't see what I consider to be obvious if I consider it obvious. Like if if to me there is a clear cut, definitive, undeniable answer about something. It's very difficult for me to not see that answer for others, right? Mm-hmm. So, to me, it's a very clear answer. Your answer is what? I'm. I was debating between two of them, but I will go with Gonzo. See, that is such the wrong answer, and it infuriates me. Now, now the you, other one would have been Fozzie Bear. It's undeniably Fozzie Bear. But see, Fozzie Bear would be. That's the only thing. He's running the show. The show would be chaos because of course about rubber chickens. Well, of course, but I mean, are you not familiar with Dan Quayle? I mean, come on. But but here's the thing. I mean, first off, Gonzo dates chickens for crying out loud, right? Yeah, but he's also see. That's the thing, though. I'm going off my Muppet Christmas Carol bias because he's the lead in that show. But have you have you watched the Muppet movie? Yes. The plot of the Muppet movie. I've seen the new ones with uh, what's his name. The plot of the Muppet movie is about the the start of the Muppet phenomenon. And Kermit is living in the lily pad, uh-huh. and he decides that he wants to become a star and go to Hollywood. And so who is who does he who is his road trip buddy that takes him there together and the two of them bond together and everyone col- they 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 collect people along the way, but it's Fozzie. Fozzie's uh-huh. his guy. Fozzie takes him, Fozzie's his guy, Fozzie's his confidant. He's a bum. I mean, but he's a bear that wears a hat. How do you not like a bear that wears? I a- love. I love Fozzie Bear. He's, he's one the of best. my favorites. Waka, but waka, waka. I think Gonzo could very well be the lead guy to replace. No, Kermit. Gonzo is like. Gon- I'm getting a lot of Gonzo Listen, responses that are no, favorable in my. Direction. Gonzo's like Benjamin Franklin. He's he's a a key founding father, but he was never a president, right? 
like Kermit is George Washington. Fozzie is Jefferson or Adams. He's like John Adams. He's right there. He's he's alongside the whole way, and then he takes over. He's the guy. I'm telling you, it's Fozzie. He might be an idiot, but how big an idiot? He's a bear that knows how to tie a tie. That's got to be worth something, right? You know who's kind of a creep? Ben Franklin. <laughs> he was. The office. <laughs> ben spent a lot of time in Paris, no doubt. I, I, I still um, think I'm going to stand by my Gonzo pick. I'm going to go with that one. Sam asked the question, and I think the Bears did it. Should the Colts have an open tryout for, we're, we're asking this rhetorically, an open tryout for the masses for kicker. I mean, as long as we can watch it live, then yes, I was all for that. The Bears did that. Well, not the Bears didn't do that, but Goose Island Brewery in Chicago did it. And uh, yeah, that did not go well. To, to give credit real quickly, I would just like to say that uh, the person who called in to pose this question is a listener by the name of Tim. He wanted to know if we should do a uh, open Listen, tryout type deal. Here's the thing about kicking. When you were a backyard, when you were a kid in the backyard playing football, Todd Myers in here. He played a lot of backyard football. He's got a picture of himself in Lafayette as a kid playing football, right? West Lafayette. West Lafayette, excuse me. Yeah, I'm sorry. Wrong side of the river. Um, <laughs> so, in West Lafayette, Todd, when you played football, backyard football, when you scored a touchdown, when you were in, like, fourth grade, your backyard football after school playing with your buddies, and you scored a touchdown, was it seven points or six? Yeah, seven, right? Because you never kicked the extra point. Now, we did have – there was a there was a series of bushes in Josh Simrau's backyard that occasionally we would kick over that and that was the extra point. But nobody we never did it because nobody was any good at kicking. Soccer wasn't really a big thing back then. So kicking is a specialty that admittedly is much harder to do than the general public thinks. So people that are like I could go out there and kick a 20 it's a lot harder than you think. And even soccer players I think struggle with just the coming out there, there's so much that goes into it. I mean, the line, guys coming at you, the snap, there, there's a lot that goes into it for sure. So it's fun to think about in theory the fact of, hey, should they you know do an open tryout? It actually is fun, because, it, but it would be a comedy of errors. I'm yeah, telling that's you. what it was when the Goose Island people did it in Chicago. Was they lined it up exactly the same distance that Cody Parkey had missed the double doink. And, uh, yeah, guys were hitting each other in the crotch. They were falling on their faces because it was sleeting outside. So, yeah, I would watch it just for the pure entertainment value. I wouldn't take much merit with it, though. When I was selected, or rather when my Kit Kat wrapper was randomly selected as one of four finalists for the Hershey's Million Dollar Field Goal Kicking Competition that I've told you about Uh in 1998, so I sent in my wrapper back when they used to bring out a sacrificial lamb to kick a field goal from 35 yards at the Pro Bowl at halftime, sponsored by Hershey, for a million dollars. I sent in a Kit Kat wrapper. There were like 600,000 people that sent theirs in. I was one of the four. Matter of fact, they told me, that Mark, the way that they did it, they had like 74 mailbags full of entries. They asked somebody in a meeting, like, pick a number one through 74, and somebody's like, you know, 48. So they went to number 48 bag 48 and dumped it out on the floor and then said all right they've sent four people in pick one envelope and mine was one of the four out of bag 48 of all the things in life to win this was where all my karma was spent right well that and surviving a heart attack so i along with three others were called and they said next week we are flying you to miami for a competition from a like a 20 yard I think it was it's either 10 20 and 30 or 20 30 and 40 yard field goals the winner of that competition will go to 
Honolulu in two weeks and kick the field goal for a million dollars from Hershey's. Dennis Crawford of Cleveland, Tennessee, won the competition of the four of us. I finished second. I missed the third kick. I live in Ohio and Tennessee in multiple entries, apparently. What's that? <laughs> That's Cleveland right. and Tennessee. That's right. He was a he he worked at a Lowe's department store in Cleveland, Tennessee, and it turns out he had been a an all American kicker in a Division three school in Georgia, and you had to we had to sign a waiver that we had not kicked in Division one sports. Mm. He was a Division three kicker, great guy, and he won the million dollars. Happy for him. But I had like a week to learn how to kick. It is really hard to do. Like, I tried straight on, I tried off the tee, I tried soccer style, I tried everything. And I got to the point where I could at least hit what then was an extra point. But I'm telling you, like, a 35, 40-yard field goal, it is a – so – but Rodrigo Blankenship is a professional kicker who makes a lot of money and has a nice lifestyle based on that. He may be the nicest guy in the world, and he's been a great story. But there's an expectation that comes with that kind of – with that job, that you have one job, and that is to kick field goals. And if he is struggling, it's it's on him. Yeah. And it's, I mean, kicker is one of the least rewarding positions. Correct. I mean, if, when you, you make the kicks that you're supposed to make, and when you miss them, all hell falls on top of you. It's your fault for everything. So I, I don't I – don't, I'm not jealous of his situation. I know it's not fun. It's probably not great being the, the – you know, the air, the uh, the All grief of everybody hell in this town but falls on top of you. Yeah, it's true. How how far down do you have to be to be below hell to have it fall on top of Quite you? Quite a bit, <laughs> right? Like, where are you if you're below hell? Almost to China, it right? Can actually, it's, I think. <laughs> did, you, did you ever try to dig to the sky of China? No, my mom yelled at me. You're ruining my tulips. Well, All right, sorry, mom. You got to do what you got to do. All right, tomorrow we'll be back at it seven o'clock in the morning for Sam Fritz. I'm Mark Dykton. Have a wonderful Tuesday. Thanks for listening. 